good evening, everybody. Welcome to the school committee meeting of January 19th, 2023. It is 6-12, and we are returning from executive session where we met for the purposes of discussing strategy with respect to collective bargaining units A and E, as an open meeting may have a detrimental effect on the bargaining position of this public body. Apologize for the delay. We're going to get started. Um, the first thing I wanted to do is um, take a moment and just acknowledge that we recently had a loss of a former superintendent. Um, his name um, is, was it, is it Paul Caponaro? Peter Caponaros, I'm sorry about that. Um, and we wanted to hold a, um, a moment of silence for him, Dr. Peter Caponaros. He was the superintendent from 1982 to 1997. He recently passed away. Thank you. We send our thoughts and prayers Ms. Miranda? to him and his family. If I may? Yes, please. Okay. So um, on a personal note, I was a student when Dr. Cabaneras was the superintendent. Uh, he came to Canton in 1976 uh, as the assistant superintendent from Swampscott. As Ms. Miranda said, he became superintendent in 1982 and then was uh, retired in 1996. So I will say two things during that time frame. 1981, we all, some of us may remember Prop 2.5 was passed. So that was really the first tumultuous thing he had to deal with in his tenure. And then in 1993, with the uh, passing of ed reform, that was another huge transition uh, for him as a superintendent. I will say, as a student journalist at Canton High, when the what is now called the Spectrum used to be known as the Mercury, I was a student journalist interviewing Dr. Caponeros in the um, administration office was located at the Elliott School, which is now the police station. So he was very patient with a student journalist trying to understand whatever the school issue was at the time so I could write about it in the, in the school newspaper. So he was, he was truly a, a, a kind human being, um, a very bright man, very generous with his time. Uh, I know he was a great collaborator with the school committee. My father was in this role 30 years ago, and uh, he and Dr. Caponeros worked together very well. So I will just say, you know, just he was both a, a wonderful man and uh, in conversation with my mother discussing Dr. Caponeros, she said he was both a gentleman and a gentleman. So, um, you know, truly a dedicated man to the town of Canton, to our students. And uh, when I saw his death, it was really, you know, a, a true loss. He was a very, very, just a great human being. So, oh, my thoughts wonderful. about Dr. Caponeros. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so glad you did. Thank you. Okay. The, the, the first item on our agenda this evening is our superintendent's report. Great, thank you so much. So first uh, item that I have on here is something that uh, Principal Sperling has been working on with Ms. Cummings. Uh, and as you know, Ms. Cummings is our uh, student rep that serves on the committee as a non-voting member and has an incredible contributor and we have an alternative in Ms. Fan as well. But there's also uh, per policy to have a school committee advisory council and go through an election process for that to happen. And uh, Mr. Sperling added that to the elections that happen, and we have a number of students that were elected by peers to serve in that role, and periodically they will come in and provide some reports as they have. So we have both our, our sitting rep on the committee and then our advisors who will provide an update. 
Uh, so they are Samantha Vrabel, uh, grade 12, uh, Disha uh, Nayak, grade 11, Ryan Garrett, grade 10, and Viviana Truglia, uh, grade 9. So students will ro rotate as they have in the past. They'll work with uh, Mr. Sperling on uh, the schools that they'll report on, but you'll meet them and be introduced to them as they go through their particular time. It is tough with busy schedules to get everyone here at, at one moment in time. Sure. So we're going to honor their time and, and meet them one at a time. Uh, so that's upcoming. Another great highlight to report is uh, the development of the CHS Innovation Lab. Uh, these are two spaces that I remember well when I walked in and they were a machine shop and had a number of different tools and small engines and there's a woodworking shop. And those spaces in many schools have evolved over time in which it's a lot of design, there's a lot of prototype making. making. Uh, they cut across discipline areas and for a period of time uh, through the support of the committee and in the town, there have been funds to help renovate these spaces, to be modern and touch uh, many different spaces, I mean, excuse me, many different discipline areas. So we got some previews coming. They're having a soft opening uh, coming up, but you can see exploring technology, construction and design, sculpture one and two, entrepreneurship. A couple of uh, preview pictures of what the space used to look like and what it looks like now, um, and it's still going to develop even further. So. Just a, a little bit of an update and uh, looking forward to myself to taking a little bit of a tour. I got a nice invite from folks at the, at the high school, so we're going to walk through there shortly. This item here is a Town of Canton Communication Forum. Uh, thank you to Chair Miranda for representing the schools at an upcoming communication forum with the chairs of the Select Board Appointed Committees, uh, and that's happening on Tuesday, February 7th. Purpose of the meeting is to provide an update on each committee's activities. We look forward to the participation and other town events like this in the coming months. Had the opportunity to talk to town administrator Charlie Duty about this, and uh, we were talking about a number of different things, and this is something that he's bringing back and providing that opportunity to get an update and have the select board. Uh, there's so many different committees, it's nice to get a little update and uh, touch point with each one. So it's a, a, a nice element that's happening. Um, so, Helen, I don't know if you're attending as well. I'm unable that evening, unfortunately, okay. but I yeah. do appreciate the invite, and hopefully the next one I can. It's good, yeah. There's been, it's been uh, one of the things uh, Charlie Judy has definitely tried to connect the, the schools and some of the services and, and some of those. I now attend the department head meetings, so it's been, it's been nice to work in conjunction with them. Uh, this month is school board recognition. Month, so we want to take this opportunity to recognize and thank our school committee members for their service to the students, staff, families, and the entire school community. It's not an easy job and it requires countless hours to do it well. So on behalf of the Canton School Community, we deeply appreciate your support, efforts, and encouragement. Okay. Our indicators of excellence are senior districts happen. Congratulations to the nine CHS students who participated in the Senior District Festival on January 6th and 7th. So that's Liana Camille, Leah Condon, Laura Walsh, Derek Marr, Atlas Karen Barker, Abigail Silvasi, Anthony Wang, Alessandra Salazar, and Sonia Lee. Congratulations and thank you to the performing arts staff for all of uh, the support and uh, going through this high level uh, experience. We've held senior districts before. It is phenomenal to see this many groups and musicians and interact. It's, it's a great event. So. Congratulations to all. Also a shout out to all of our elementary fourth and fifth grade students who performed some uh, concerts 
recently at the Loose JFK in Hanson. So congratulations to the hard work, exciting young musicians. And again, we've had that fifth grade uh, integration into the day, and we're seeing dividends with regard to their performance. Listed here, uh, it soon will be MCAS season, and these are the dates. And it's really important for families to take a look at this. You'll be seeing this within the newsletters and what's going out, uh, because as as uh, Desi advises us, we try to put the dates out and let uh, folks know when things are happening mm -hmm. so that uh, we can work around appointments. It's very difficult if there's any dismissals or anything. It's very important attendance-wise for the students to be there on these days. And it, this is a, a document that can help guide that. And again, you can hear it through the schools. They give us windows, so we have to land on particular days. The grade 10, they have some more specific timing. but. Just for the, the mindset, take a look at these. They're in April, May, and then for grade 10, starts in March and goes to May and June as well. So if you're new to this, if, if grade three is the first experience, keep an eye on it um, and look for communication. Grade four and such, uh, folks have been through this before. It's important to put it in the calendars. So other uh, GMS assessments and CHS assessments that are happening here. So a lot of this is world language, which is fantastic. So they're going through some uh, proficiency uh, in language uh, testing that Heidi Olson and her team are working on. That's happening March 13th to the 14th. Same thing is happening at the, at the high school as well. And just a little bit of a text exchange from my own understanding. These are, are some of the performance assessments that if students score well enough, they can be eligible for the seal of biliteracy, mm -hmm. which is a designation on the diploma and a really nice acknowledgement uh, that's happening. I think we had about 15 or students, uh, 16 students achieve this last year. Um, and she said she's planning on anticipating a higher number, which I always like that she has her eye on progress and growth. So congrats to all that, everyone involved in that uh, proficiency testing. Dates-wise, we have a lot coming up. Uh, you know, we'll be talking about um, the suspension of work to rule. We made some adjustments to the GMS concerts because of that. We're staying the course, per Mr. Mulhern, uh, to have them happen during the day. It was a little too late to shift. We wanted families to be able to have those uh, earmarked. So January 20th, uh, GMS 6 to 8. Uh, that's coming up 1.30 to 2. Folks are invited. If not, I think their plans are to stream and to record to make sure you can see everything. The 27th is early release. Big news here, right? Annie Jr., uh, JFK, presenting uh, and coming up. Same thing as uh, Hanson had, they have a Friday night and then a Saturday matinee. Uh, excited about that. We're doing online ticketing again for that. Uh, and I talked to some of the folks involved and they're very excited and well prepared for that upcoming element. The second concert is January 31st for GMS. We have school committee February 2nd. We have a communication uh, forum that I mentioned on February 7th. And that's it for dates and events. All right. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. And yeah, congratulations to the school committee student advisors. We do have uh, a page on our website that talks more about their role. And uh, we're just thrilled to be expanding the uh, interrelationship that the school committee has with our student advisors. And just so thankful to you, Ms. Cummings, for your work with Massar. We work with them, MASC, and we uh, really... Uh, forged a relationship with them. So that's the Massachusetts Association of School Committees in the last two to three years, maybe. Un incredibly helpful and uh, helping 
um, kind of point the way in terms of focus and really best supporting our schools. And so to have the connection that you're also driving now as the <coughs> President, the vice chair, <laughs> director of communications. The director. I was going to say communications at the end of it um, is fabulous. So you're just taking. I know taking on way too much. And anytime you have to leave this evening, I know you've got a full schedule. Yes. Um, please do. But um, I'm I'm thrilled that not only um, you've been able to lead, but uh, really help uh, usher in what will be, I think, a fantastic evolution of our student advisors. So thank you. Of course. And uh, super thrilled about the CHS Innovation Lab as well. Anytime we can uh, help make maker spaces like that possible, uh, it's just one more way to get students in hands on, heads on learning. So excited about that. Any other uh, comments or discussion points from the school committee? Um, one, I'm very excited to work with the students. Um, I'll be um, able to help them. Um, with anything they need entering the school committee world and help them kind of understand everything. But I do have a question um, about MCAS. Is grade 10 take science or is that only grade 9? It's grade 9. Okay. Thank you. There's some option for it, but it's grade 9. Okay. Yep. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And I should, I should spell out or say it's Massachusetts Association of Student Representatives is MASSER. People often ask us to explain what the acronyms are all about. All right. So the next item on our agenda is item D. That is our teaching and learning report. We have Ms. Julie Shore here as well as Mr. Kevin Sullivan to provide an update on elementary digital learning. Welcome to you both. for having us. Oh, do you want to just grab the For having us tonight. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, the digital learning that's happening at the elementary schools. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the transition that elementary digital learning has had and then some highlights from each of the buildings. Um, <coughs> give you a little sneak peek of some of the really cool stuff that's happening with um, our students. Um, so we're going to just start just doing a quick shout out. Unfortunately, our digital learning specialist couldn't be here tonight. So um, myself and Kevin Sullivan, our pre-K-12 um, technology integration specialist, thank you. Uh, we're going to do our best to represent them well um, and share with you some of the highlights that they gave to us. Um, so we do just want to acknowledge them. So Will Evans at the Luz, Julie Folia, JFK, and Justin Martin over at the Hanson. Um, and as you are probably aware, this year we did a collaboration with library, and so um, our library aides have been phenomenal. Um, the work they do and the collaboration that they've had has been really, really great to see. Kevin and I just had an opportunity to meet with each of the pairs at the uh, schools to find out how things were going, and um, so I want to make sure that we acknowledge them. So Jamie Cardi at the Luz, Mara Bayless at JFK, and Emma Harding at the Hanson. So just really briefly, a little bit about the structure. Um, elementary digital learning, which used to be called kind of the tech block, um, prior to 2020, um, used to be a 45-minute block that came out of the general classroom block. It was not considered a special. Our classroom teachers would actually go with their students to the technology block. Um, and it was in, took the place of what, you, what would now be like a social studies or science block within the week. And so um, that's kind of how the structure used to be. Our technology teachers would not only be teaching full time, but also would be trying to support teachers um, in the work that they do. 
And then during COVID, we did make a transition um, to from technology teacher title over to digital learning specialist, really because we needed them. Our, our families needed them, our teachers needed them, our students needed them. Um, and so that happened during COVID and I thought, I mean, thank goodness for them. They did so much and we're so thankful for all the work that they were able to do to keep uh, our train running. And then we really started to think about, okay, what is the best model? What makes sense? So um, long before even I got here, there had kind of been these conversations about um, what we're seeing in other districts in terms of best practices and how they're really thinking about elementary um, library technology kind of as this literacy and um, STEM expansion, innovation, research, and how they, they really mold together. Um, and so we started having conversations with our teachers, with our library aides, with our unions, um, with our principals. And what we ended up doing this year that's new is library block used to be 30 minutes. Um, all the other specials are 45. So we expanded that block to be um, aligned with all of the other specials and included more of a collaboration between library and with tech. Um, it definitely has its challenges. It's tight on time. We're working to, um, you know, kind of let everyone see how everyone else is doing it, find some best practices. So we're kind of in this, you know, transition phase, um, but there's so much really great things that are coming out of it. So we're really excited about it. And Kevin's going to talk so, a little bit about our areas of uh, focus. Basically, the areas of focus is what, what do our digital learning specialists do? What is their job? So basically, it's broken up into these five areas of focus, okay? If you look on our slide, that blue is actually a link to our scope and sequence and part of our curriculum. There's also activities built in. This is what my team has been working on through the summer and through their actual um, meetings and so on and so forth since um, September. So we're kind of rehashing and re-putting together where we are based upon the DLS standards from 2016. Okay, so what do they actually do? Well, one of the pieces that they do is they work on, with digital tools. Those digital tools are like basically device care. How do I maintain my iPad? How do I maintain my Chromebook? What do I do? It's literally the physical cleaning, turning it off, making sure it's charged and all of those pieces. Also, it's part of like, what, what do we use in our classrooms? How do we know how to use them? Like what applications are being used on those Chromebooks? What applications are being used on those iPads? Um, also, basically training them how to do MCAS. MCAS is a digitally based test that is on our Chromebooks as well, okay? Then we move into coding. Coding is that language of a computer, and we are starting to give those students their exposure to what is that language of the computer. And we do that through like organizations like code.org, um, we do the Hour of Code, and we actually just finished that up in the last, uh, basically the month of December. Um, then we've moved into robotics, um, so we're really setting that framework for what great things come out of the high school with robotics. So these children in kindergarten are starting to learn those skills that Katie Healy and the high school kids will do. So we're starting to put all those pieces together. Then comes in the digital wellness piece, which is how do I be a good digital citizen? It's kind of like dovetails with how do I be a good person, but how do I be a good person online? And what do I do with all of those factors? So all of those pieces go together with good uh, password safety, privacy, what is good on the internet, what is bad, how do we kind of look at and evaluate what we're doing. And we try to teach them as early as kindergarten all of these skills in there. Um, and then the last piece is the computer science piece, okay? Because remember, our teachers are not just those tech people. They're actually doing digital learning in that computer science piece. So the computer science is really talking about how they're using that hardware, how they're starting to, like, navigate the Internet, how they're starting to be, for example, most of our kids, unfortunately, were consumers. They, they took everything in. Now, 
How are we turning them into creators? How are they sending stuff out, okay? So all those pieces are what we are doing as digital learning specialists every single day with our students from kindergarten, actually all the way up to 12th grade, but today we're talking about fifth, so. Great. We'll give you some highlights from each of the buildings. Um, so really quickly, we'll talk about the Hanson School. So um, the Hanson School completed a month-long exploration of coding. Um, they were using code.org for our grades, I think, one and two, is it? And then um, Scratch, which is coding program language. Um, kindergarten did some sequencing and debugging using the B-Bots. Um, and the really cool thing about the B-Bots is that they're robots and it's coding, but it's, it's low tech. So they're not on their devices. We're really trying to find opportunities where they're getting that um, computational thinking, that creative thinking, that innovation, and but they're not sitting on their devices, right? They're kindergarten. Um, and then we've got our uh, grades one and two are going uh, multi-directional code mazes using the code app and Mr. Martin wanted to do a little shout out for Mike for getting that set up for him. Um, and then specifically at the Hanson, uh, Mr. Martin has introduced podcasting to fourth grade and he has sent me some of them and they are fantastic. It's a new venture that he's starting um, and when I get some good ones I'll send them your way because they're great. He actually has a few of them out and there's a link there so if you want to listen to a couple of them. They did one about um, being thankful at Thanksgiving and I'm blanking on the most recent one that he did but they're really fabulous. The kids are writing out scripts and really talking about it. It's awesome. Um, and then they have started their uh, digital citizen unit, so they're focusing on safety and responsible use of technology as well as media literacy and some digital wellness concepts. So just a quick few little sites from the Hanson. Um, the first row up at the top is Mr. Martin working, I believe those are all kindergarten or maybe first grade, but working with those Bebot robots. Um, and then you've got the older kids doing some coding um, using some of the apps on their Chromebooks. And then we'll transition to the JFK. All right, at the JFK um, with Ms. Foley. First three bullets are pretty much very similar to um, where we're at at the Hanson, where the kindergarten has been working with this, um, the debugging and scratch and working with the B-bots and all of those components. But Mrs. Foley's big, what she likes to do, like Mr. Um, uh, Martin at the Hanson, hers is she likes to work with the green screen, and she's been doing some wonderful things with green screen. She just did and finished up something with Martin Luther King and all that green screen technology with grades three and four. Uh, she's also been working on keyboarding skills with her grades three through five. So they've been using a program called Typing Pal, which basically helps them get those skills that they need, talking about their good posture, making sure that they're knowing their keyboard and their homepage and so on and so forth like that. Um, also, uh, they've been so, uh, showcasing things through Google Classroom with drawings, docs, and slides. Uh, also, the kindergarten through two students have been using and utilizing a lot of what we use during the pandemic and working on some of that La La Lillo, Freckle, Seesaw, and so other components that are integrated in with the iPads. Um, also, they are transitioning their third grades to Clever Badges, so they're actually starting to work with that password safety and using a um, QR code to basically get into their devices. And once again, big endeavor, it's starting to get that whole computer science of getting and understanding why passwords are so important. And also, just to end with, um, JFK, that she wanted to give a big shout out to the whole technology team for getting her up. And it's in basically, her quote was, in far too many ways to mention that all the help that she's been getting from, for example, her regular technicians that are coming over and helping on the day-to-day -day skills. So let's go to a couple of scenes 
Once again, we have our students on our Chromebooks in that first picture. I believe that's third grade. They were starting to work on their password skills. The middle, once again, are those B-Bots, which are phenomenal. Um, if you do look closely, those can see, you can see the top that has like the arrows and it's the different directions that they work on and they press those arrows in sequence and that sequential thinking is how those B-Bots move. And the other two pictures, once again, are our older kids doing some research and using their Chromebooks for that. And then we're going to wrap up with the loose. Um, so at the loose, grades two through five undertook an independent research project on a wild animal of their choosing. Uh, grade two used Kittle and Seesaw to do some images. Grade threes did some Google searching and some Google Slides. Well, grades four and five did um, new Google Slide features and advanced Google search tips for their research. Um, they're also going to be collaborating on their research projects in groups using both the internet library physical books, comparing and contrasting benefits and limitations of both of those different types of research um, methods. Uh, all the K-5 kids, again, the Hour of Code, which you've heard about, using Codable, Code.org, Scratch Junior. Um, and for Mr. Evans at the Loose, um, he introduced Canva to kids and really thinking about how to use something that's um, allowing them to really be creative and think about um, different ways to show their learning. And so um, he had them create posters for what they were thankful for, what they're looking forward to, um, and then they're going to be coming back to it to do some work on infographics. Um, and then the great one and two at the loose have been learning about non-electronic technologies, really trying to broaden their understanding. Um, during Native American Heritage Month, they learned about the different innovations and contributions, what they were made for, used for, and then compared and contrasted them to their modern versions. I actually saw this lesson and it was phenomenal. Um, and I have some examples to show you, but before I highlight everything, I just want to bring your attention to the two at the top left. That first image um, was a second grade student from the Loose that um, was able to figure out the coding for cellular technology on his own and brought it in to present to Mr. Evans. And then Mr. Evans asked him if he would present to the class. And the second picture that's highlighted in pink was also a second grade student that was learning some Python scripts. Um, and same thing brought that in and was able to share what they've been learning um, with the class. So we've got some pretty creative kids in our district. And then what else you're seeing is just some of those um, work products of some of those things that we mentioned. With Canva being on the bottom right at the top, I believe that's Scratch, right? The coding. Yep. Um, some Seesaw, the bottom left is Canva. Um, and so just kind of seeing some of the highlights that's happening at the Loose. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, you know, this is to me, I mean, I guess to everyone, to the world, like rapidly evolving, right? Mm -hmm. We're just thinking about some of the examples what's being taught right now in elementary school versus what we went to learn in college right. or other places is quite mind boggling. Um, but so, I, so, my question to you, because I understand we're sort of thinking differently about library time mm -hmm. and then also just what kids need to know that then help sort of reinforce and expedite, hopefully, learning in the classroom so right. they don't spend as much time doing these things that can focus on others. But um, how, and, I, and I, I was looking online at the, the lesson list that you had, thank you for giving us that link. Um, I understand there are standards, but how do you, um, how, how, how are you going about planning and then getting feedback about, and I know you said you went down and kind of just got some, how do, you, how do you know what's working? And then how do you know what's next, I guess? And this is just an honest question because it's all right in front of us. 
within the curriculum, you mean? Yeah, how are you, yeah, how are you just managing um, what is, I think, you know, just like I said, it's an ever-evolving area, so, like in real time. How are you building it while, while you're flying? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I would probably answer it almost the same way that you asked it. Um, I think, to your point, there are standards. So uh, Kevin mentioned them earlier, the DLCS. They're actually the Digital Learning and Computer Science Standards from DESE. So that's kind of where we get our baseline. What are the things at each grade level that are really important for kids to know? Um, also thinking about what's happening in the classroom. So what are some of those skills that the kids need in order to be successful in what they need to do in terms of, of their learning um, in their work products and all of that. Um, and I think this year really, I mean, we've done a little bit of coding, a little bit of robotics from here and there. Um, but I think this year we really sat down and said, like, we need, we want innovation, right? We want computational thinking. We want all of that. So what are some things that we can do? To, to continue to up the bar. We also thought about the great robotics after school program. Like what are some of the things that they're doing there and how can we bring that more mainstream to all kids in ways that are that are age appropriate? Um, but I would say it's ever evolving. I don't know if there's anything you wanna to add to that. The one piece that I wanna add to that is that when we think about technology, like a lot of times we see our very young children sitting there with devices and just kind of mm -hmm. like working with that device one-to-one but they're just using that device as just like a toy. So what we need to do is we, as our digital learning specialists, are working on through our curriculum to show them how these are tools. These are tools that need to be used on a regular basis from whatever grade they're in all the way through life. We use tools for digital banking. We use tools like that for communication, all of those pieces. So it's really trying to make sure that my staff and my team is working on going back to that. It stems back from, from consumers to creators, all right? So how can we get from that consumer to creator and what they're doing? And just in the background right behind you, those are the creators. They're using their device to create something, that top piece with scratch. They're making that thing move. It's not moving on its own, they're making it move or they're creating that infographic by the technologies that they have. So that's really where we go and we are guided like Michelle said, by those standards. Yeah. So we have to take those standards and involve them to how they're gonna work for us and our students. And the last thing I would add is, I think it's it's a it's a process to see what our, is it been successful? What are the outcomes? I think, you know, when we get to fourth and fifth, we're really trying to make sure that, that those students are ready for middle school and they're ready for that level of rigor and what they're gonna be expected. And so I think, you know, with the, we say this all the time, right, but with COVID and remote learning, everything was so haywire that we're really trying to stop, take a breath, refocus, what do we think is gonna be best, and then we'll just keep monitoring as we go through. Because I agree, I mean, I, you know, my three and a half year old grandson can use the iPad better than I can, and like, I'm not okay with that, right? But it's the reality, and so we really think about that and try to be really intentional about the types of activities that the kids do um, and the experience and outcomes that they're gonna get from it. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you, I mean, I was like, it's clear that you're focused on innovation, but the idea that you'd be off, offering a sampler, if you will, of some of the opportunities that are available through uh, robotics and the STEM clubs and so mm -hmm. forth, I could see how it lowers the playing field, I mean, uh, lowers the bar and increases the playing field in terms of um, how many kids will have access early to feel more comfortable with STEM and mm -hmm. uh, obviously interacting with their devices and uh, 
So long as we can get them to remember their power cords and to charge their devices. I, I think that's I a losing think. battle. It's just, it, it is what it is sometimes. But um, yeah, uh, that yeah. would be real success. Yeah. That's the measure. That's <laughs> the smart goal. Really very impressive. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad our district is, is where, where we are. So thank you both for your leadership on this. And I'm excited to see what's to come. Thank you. Is there any other discussion on tech? I have a few questions. Digital learning? If you're going to say something. I have a question too. Okay. Um, Thank you so much for, for sharing all of this with us. Um, few questions that I wanted to sure. run by you. So I love the fact that you're doing a separate thing. It, it seems to me that there's separate mm, initiatives going at the hands and at the JFK at the loose, like the podcasting in one, uh, the typing in the other, Google Slides in the, uh, in, at the loose. Are we at one point crossing over that knowledge so that it is uh, crossing to all of the students across all the schools so that by the time, and how are we evaluating that when they get to middle school, we have a baseline of technical education that they should be able to use the tool? So I would say what we provided were snapshots of what each of the okay. digital learning specialists provided. I the podcasting, the green screen, and the Canva are kind of right now the, the little like nuggets of specialty at each of the buildings starting this year. Um, kind of trying it out, see how it goes, and then see how it can develop into the full curriculum. All the other things, the Typing Pal, the Google, the Docs, all of that is just part of the curriculum that's happening in all of the buildings. Is there a formal, um, and I don't know if we have it or not, but is there a way for us to evaluate where the students are before they get to the middle school? Are we doing some type of formal testing? So at this point, no. We have talked a lot about, you know, how, what does that look like? What are the needs of the middle school? What skills do they need to have by the time we get there? Um, so in conversations with teachers, nothing formal. Um, we don't have a digital learning specialist currently at the middle school. And okay. so that's something that we've been talking about a little bit. Um, so there's not a formal plan yet this year was really about we're out of covid we're out of all of that we need to reset technology into kind of the way we think it really should be and not the way it has to be so that kids can learn um so i would say more to come on that okay so i, I think so i'm a big big advocate of technology when used correctly and used right. in the tools that mm -hmm. are going to be able to help them improve whatever development they're working towards sure. or achievement that they're going for and I just think about even myself when I was going through college, and I know we're far away from that, but these kids are learning all of these things now. Is like even just the most basic tools and shortcuts, and yeah. um, I'm gonna say some software type. I know we use Google here, but if we're gonna do Microsoft or Word, what are those key things that they should know to make them more efficient mm -hmm. as they're going forward in their education would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so just wanting to, mm -hmm. would love to continue in that path is what I'm trying to say. So thank you so much. Thank you. So quick question. So sure. it sounds like the approach is to help um, kids understand the technology tool. So they control the technology as opposed to the technology controlling that, yes. which is great. The question I have is about the library okay. and books. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a 45 minute block. Yes. What portion of that is for strictly library time? Yep. How does that work? So it's varied a little bit in each building. Mm -hmm. um, because it's new, each team kind of said, all right, how are we going to structure this? So we did expand the block from 30 to 45. Mm -hmm. um, I would say mo the, I think the loose and the JFK are pretty much splitting the time. Okay. Um, and then trying to kind of support each other during those transitions. Uh, the Hanson is a little bit more integrated. Um, so they're doing 
a, a little bit more library at the K2 and a little bit more tech at the 345 um, in order again for that preparation. So what we're trying to do now is we've met with all the groups. We're actually going to do some mini learning walks so each of them can kind of see each other, get some best practices. Because the goal of the integration was never to subtract but to add. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that that we're holding on, like every week kids get books. And the time's been tight. So the 45 minutes for both of them have been tight. Um, and so we're really trying to figure out how can we best maximize that type. Um, we've also had the building principals with us when we've been meeting to try to brainstorm. Um, so we're gonna do those little walks, try to get some best practices and see how we can do that. Because again, it's about adding not distracting. So it sounds like it's really, it's, it's a work in progress. Yeah. And sort of at the end of the year, as you mm -hmm. regroup and debrief, yes. um, get a sense of, again, the exposure to the book, especially with the little kids. And I would, I would, soon but I'll ask that so the classroom teachers would also be part of that conversation in terms of what do they see with their kids I know a few years ago as we have really gotten into technology our elementary teachers were looking for the tech class that existed before the pandemic to come back in some form um, so it'll be interesting to get their perspective on again sure. the, the, the you know how the library period with the book piece of it how's that working from again the classroom sure. teacher so and I think yeah and I think that you know there's it's twofold and it's us trying to kind of find that happy medium mm -hmm. between the two there's always an opportunity cost so going back to a full 45 minute block what is that going to what are we taking away from and so this was kind of the best way to merge it's also really become a best practice in other districts so we actually have talked about going over to Walpole going over to some of the other districts that are doing it well to kind of see like how's it working here um, because I think it's really a good match and I think the partnerships at each school are great they really support each other it gives them really that kind of that literacy team both on the reading literacy and the digital literacy um, so it's a work in progress. Thank you. I have one question. I just yeah. want to go back to the lost power cords. Can you working on how to figure that out? It's a thing. It's definitely a thing. You know, and I hear these stories too. I well, I I shared it with so and so because they didn't have theirs. Well, did you get it back? No. no. <laughs> All right. Teaching good citizens, but also lacking a charger. <laughs> yeah. If only they were self-charging or batteries or something, it would make my life a whole lot easier. But here we are. All right. well, thank, thank you both you. very much. Appreciate Can I, can I ask one last oh, question? Oh, yes. sorry. Just have, that no. came to mind. Um, from our perspective, or if you were to ask us for tools, or what, are you needing some tools in order to pursue this project of figuring out what is the best education in technology for the students. Like, are you happy with the Chromebooks that we currently have, with the iPads for the younger ones? Like, is that the technology that you guys need? I think for right now we're good. We definitely, every year we've been upping the um, the Chromebook so that they're better and better um, because we all know that unfortunately the ones that we could get during COVID were, were not the best. Um, so there's definitely been a stark improvement in that. We've started to have conversations going forward, definitely during COVID with the purchase of the iPads at K2, it's what we needed then. So we've started it, that conversation, like what does that look like going forward? I think we'll probably keep them, but we'll kind of see how that goes. Um, we're, we've been really fortunate. Um, I was able to buy some supplies last year um, that we're kind of slowly introducing. We're trying not to overwhelm everybody, but um, we've got like snap circuit boxes. We've got really cool Lego things we're going to start to introduce. Um, Makey makeys, which are like circuits. Like there's just some, we, we're good for now, but thank you. Awesome. But um, yeah, as hopefully we grow and develop and, and new things come out. 
Um, we'll come back to you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. The next item on our agenda, E, new business. The first item under new business is our CHS program of studies uh, discussion. We have Mr. Principal Sperling here, hello, and Dr. Chamberlain, there she is, to present the 2023-2024 program of studies and um, put this up for a approval from the school committee. All right, folks, so again, uh, exciting time of year where we get to present hopefully some, some nice improvements in all directions. So um, we provided the executive summary as well as sort of the current program of studies for reference and then the, the revisions that were proposed. Uh, each department chair sort of takes ownership of their section, um, whether it's just wordsmithing, cleaning up some grammar or some punctuation or actually some uh, more substantial changes and, and we meet, um, Dr. Chamberlain and I meet with the department chairs as well just to ask questions, get a little bit more information and then kind of go through those documents together and see where it all fits together. So um, I will turn this part over to Dr. Chamberlain as she is sort of the master of ceremonies when it comes to all things <laughs> program of studies but um, we'll certainly team up to address any questions that you have at the end. Thank you. I'm very excited um, tonight because there's a lot of wonderful things happening um, at Canton High School for next year's program of studies and courses. Um, I, you know, you have the executive summary that I believe you all have copies for. Um, I do want to highlight some of the more substantial changes and exciting additions that are happening um, for the 2023-2024 school year. Um, we did update the graduation requirements to reflect the four years of math as previously discussed at a earlier school committee meeting. Um, we removed the juniors and seniors clause from AP because we have some sophomores taking AP, so we're, we're spreading that um, rigor to a younger grade. So we took that out. Um, it has been in practice that we uh, do 38 credits for students, but documents were still reflecting the 36, so that's two additional credits. So again, increasing the amount of time in the classroom. Um, for the course, we used to call course changes add drop. That was really more of a college term. When we're doing course adjustments, it's really looking at levels. Um, students do have the opportunity when they are selecting courses to give a hierarchy of their electives that they so desire in order. And we work in that order to determine which ones they're getting, trying to get their first choices first, and then we work on down the line. Um, Wellness, I know, has been talked about previously. That is an increase in time in wellness classes in junior and senior year. Um, over the years, we've talked about the leadership course and a lot of the qualities, and that's being embedded in the 12th grade curriculum for all students. That was a, a point made at one of these meetings last year. Um, in addition, it's also adding more health into the junior and senior year, um, which is important because as of, I think it's two and a half years ago now, um, Suicide became the second leading cause of death um, for kids in the high school age range, actually 13 to 18 for the first time in our country's history. So there is a real statistical need for that. Um, math, uh, College Board, we are doing it with the inaugural year. College Board is adding AP pre-calc next year for the first time, and Canton High will be one of the schools participating in that. So... That's exciting. Um, those students will be funneling in really and being prepared for AP Calculus BC because there's AB and BC, and BC is that higher level calculus. It includes AB, and then it pushes it further. 
Um, when you look at English, uh, prior to where, the way it is now and the way it will be changing, um, English was really based, you know, you had British lit, you had American lit, but sometimes when you're trying to teach certain writing and reading concepts and bringing in different voices, you would get limited because of how the course was labeled. So now there's different themes, which is outlined in the changes that Rebecca Ashley did. Um, so that way you can incorporate and really pull from a lot of different resources and not be limited when you're trying to address all the standards that are needed by today's readers and writers. Um, for world language, it's exciting. We have Italian. Um, this will be a cohort. Um, so what this means, just to explain it, is so next year's 9th, 10th, and 11th, 12th graders will all have the opportunity to take Italian. Obviously, 12th graders will only have one year, and then they would graduate out. And then the students that start that cohort will then progress through it. So we will have four years of it. We're going to see how it goes, see how interest goes, survey students, and really um, we're excited about it. Um, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. Um, visual arts, uh, the lab that uh, Superintendent Fullen talked about earlier that some of the art classes are in, just some tightening of that language and really reflecting um, some of the new materials that have been so graciously given and funding to um, update what the arts department can do. Um, social studies is adding AP government. So again, that would be the second new AP added um, in one calendar year, which is the most that's happened in one year since I've been here. Um, so that's very exciting. Students are definitely excited about it. Um, for students that wanted to take the political science half year, we'll think we'll see some of those students really, they're excited to have that year-long opportunity. Um, and then the US 2 history class, that's where the civics project that's required by DESE, that's where that takes place. Um, so we just included that in the language so that it's very transparent that it is happening and in what class it happens in. Um, science, there was the major adjustment there was the bio and chem labs. Um, currently, AP biology and AP chemistry, um, they have one full period, and then there's a second block where it's every other day. Um, that second block that's every other day, those labs are going to be taking place during long block in the lunch because um, we have that long block during lunch. So the labs will be just taking place in there over the course of the year versus concentrated into one semester. Um, so that's an adjustment there. And then performing arts, as you probably all know and was talked about earlier, um, we have a lot of wonderful musicians and singers and actors. And um, there has been a desire for students that really are looking to pursue music, either at Berkeley or other um, performance schools. Really, if they're taking guitar, they're not necessarily done after guitar one. So really allowing our musicians to looking at the top schools and those performances as much as you look at Ivy's for academics is the, you know, the hardest ones to get into, RISD for art, really making sure our performing arts students are able to pursue and build a transcript that really reflects what the schools that they're looking at want, especially for some of our students that want double majors. I have a sophomore that's talking to me about sound engineering, and this is exciting, the, the, the expansion of being able to you know, take high-level AP physics classes and now go further in the musical classes, it's really going to be a good portfolio to build. So some exciting highlights. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think the adjustments we're making to the schedule are also going to allow for students to be in class time more. We don't have the every other day um, classes mean that studies are opposite that. So this is going to allow kids to have more electives and access things that they're really interested in. So for me, I'm pretty pumped. <laughs>
much, and I really do appreciate the executive summary with the revisions here. This is um, helpful for us. Um, it seems like an awful lot uh, uh, of work has gone in, and there are quite a few substantive changes, so thank you for taking the time. I'm excited about um, the additions. I have some questions sort of about the future versus, and slightly non sequitur. So I'm wondering if there's any uh, member of the school committee that has particular questions specifically about the changes and what's in front of you with the course of studies. I just have one clarifying mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. um, for the languages, we're mm -hmm. adding Italian. Mm -hmm. We're not taking any anything out. Okay. Nope. So it'll be Spanish, French, German, Italian. That's fantastic. I'll actually add to that. We actually have two members of our world language department already who are fluent and certified in Italian. So we've got some great in-house resources to really take that program. And there'll be familiar faces to the students, mm -hmm. um, which I think might be a, a good selling point for some of our current students. I think that's wonderful. And I think it's something that the community has been asking for and that it would really benefit the students when they go to college too, differentiation. So right? yeah. very exciting. And it's great because now when they have questions during course selection about it, because we have teachers that are already certified in it, they have teachers that can answer their questions mm -hmm. now. So it's great. Thank you. I have some higher level questions, but just specifically about these um, revisions. I'm delighted to see that sophomores can access AP. I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. a trend that, because um, oftentimes I think we had a student come before us last year who was taking five AP classes their senior year. So if we can spread those opportunities out so the kids can do them younger, um, I think that's great. And I think as far as Italian, I think it's important to point out it's a donation. So, um, you know, and I think you know, we've heard very generally, but it's members of our community who have come forward. So maybe, Dr. Shamlin, you could speak to that in terms of how this came about because it's a pretty yeah. big addition to our, yeah. Yeah. our um Offerings. Absolutely. No, I'll speak a little bit about it. And again, it's been uh, Heidi Olson that's really taken the point on that and, and had some really excellent relationships with, with those groups. Um, and I think this, you know, from her feedback, it's been a an ongoing relationship and sort of this interest in them getting into the schools and really being able to support the program so that it doesn't come as a an additional cost to the district. So I think we're really fortunate that they have been so generous and that they're willing to kind of offset the cost of that point too, if we want to call it that. Right. So we don't lose any teaching people on our end, we sort of, but we still have the full allotment of the FTEs and the budget for the World Languages Department, which will allow us to um, really absorb that in a nice way, in a sustainable way, at least for that four-year cohort, um, with the full expectation that we're having really close contact with that group as well, um, to see if it's something that we want to make a permanent piece of our, our program of studies or um, provide different opportunities for students as we move through those four years. Yeah. So again, I, since I've been on the committee, we haven't had a, like a donation like that right. to fund a, a class. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, that is, is very generous. Uh, in terms of the two AP classes that you're adding, how, you know, how does a teacher prepare to launch a new AP class? Or how does, it, how does a school prepare to launch a new AP class? How does that work? Yeah, so the AP government, I'll speak about that quickly. Um, we actually hired a new teacher this year who had taught AP government in her previous school. And she took over our political science class and really brought a lot of those elements into that course. She found that our students um, were really learning at a pretty high level, and she was able to bring some of those concepts in. So she's been through all the trainings. She's, she's up on the curriculum. So um, that'll be a nice slide where she's only one year removed from teaching it uh, at a really high level. Uh, for the other courses, there are training programs that our teachers generally go through. And if they're new to AP, um, it's more of sort of a, an orientation to the program and uh, the pacing and getting ready for the exams and 
the, the challenge with AP courses is kind of that they're nationally normed and uh, we're a little bit behind the eight ball for some other parts of the country because we start later than schools down south, but there's that finite exam day that's a national exam day. So just for our teachers to wrap their heads around that, um, if it's a teacher that is an experienced AP teacher that takes over that section, less of a learning curve. Um, but I think that content as it's been out and uh, Don DeVoy, who's the math department chair, has been sort of giving them the information that's been coming uh, about that course and where it's gonna land. And um, some of our current pre-calculus teachers that are teaching it at a high level are, are really, really close to modeling where the AP will be. And he's had those conversations as well to say, you know, sort of keep doing what you're doing, but we're going to add these other elements to it. So, but those training opportunities are certainly recommended and, and um, we offer them to all of our teachers in the AP, that are in the AP track uh, each year. And, and again, I'm still interested in, in hosting one of those uh, summer workshops here for our teachers. And then just one final question about the AP. Given it, it is a national program, are our teachers, do they get certified as AP teachers? I mean, do they get some, I mean, do they have to can do a training program or refresher courses or to maintain that status, if you will? I mean, how does it work? There's like a, I don't think it's like a certificate that you have to have. I think it's best practice and certainly something that we um, recommend and endorse. And, and our teachers buy into that. They, even with the, the proposed change to the bio and the chem, um, the pacing will be a little bit different for those teachers and how they use those labs throughout the year rather than really front-loading them first semester. So the conversations I've had with those teachers is, you know, if they want any additional training, it's certainly top of the list. And when the pandemic hit, College Board was already in a, like a five to six year. They were prepping for theirs. It's called the AP Classroom. So you're familiar with Google Classrooms. So College Board has AP Classrooms. So the way students, the way I order tests for students is the teachers register the, the students into the classroom. And then the, the tests, the questions and topics that are going to be on the AP exam, College Board provides in the AP Classroom so the <coughs> teachers can use the resources from College Board and literally the AP classroom will help grade those, et cetera. So it's all connected. And specifically in terms with AP Pre-Calc, because it is a brand new course and College Board obviously has an invested interest in this going well, there has been a lot more outreach, webinars, how to adapt, Facebook groups for you know math teachers, things for math department chairs. So Mr. DeVoy and I even talked about it last month, just different things, how to stag work with this and that, you know, just think, seeing how AP pre-calc, how it will be different from the other classes. So not that there isn't always resources and one day um, trainings they can go to and also week-long trainings that they can attend. Um, because it's brand new to College Board, what they're offering, there's a lot more and a lot of more th free things because they want it to be successful. All right, terrific. Other questions? Well, I'm going to just sort of you, Emma, because my, so I want to ask two, two questions. So one is just about, uh, generally, kind of about sort of process, and I, I, I can recognize not only in just the, the digital learning um, uh, technology presentation we just had, but even in these course level changes, just lots of um, ongoing discussion. I mean, we got to tour the World Language Lab and talked to Ms. Olson and got a little bit of a preview of the potential for Italian. So it's all very exciting. When we were talking um, with students at the high school just this year, uh, they were, it, actually even in the middle school, I, I was surprised just how focused and open and articulate they were about the types of classes they wanted to see. So I am really excited personally about the idea that there are more options for, 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 for students. 
And one thing that I heard, and this is why I wanted to ask you, Miss um, Cummings, was just uh, one thing that I, I heard about was a real deep desire for a diversity of social study and history classes. And I, I, not now. Um, but I just wondered how much um, student feedback comes into play at all, and maybe through the, um, the NEASC process or just generally what your process is in, in, in de determining, obviously, there's, I'm sure, myriad factors, but just sort of how you go about planning what else to add, uh, keeping in mind a little bit of the, the student voice and anything else that uh, helps drive decision-making. Um, I think a really good example of that is uh, just the adjustments to the English, um, sort of the scope of what those classes are going to be moving forward now, uh, rather than just being focused on, again, as Dr. Chamberlain mentioned, sort of one period in time that really restricts the authors, the topics of the, the potential novels, and we always try to find voice and choice, and that's a really common phrase that we look for. Yeah. Um, it's really out in our community, and, and we found that, and through uh, Rebecca Ashley's input, that students were a little bit limited in terms of the novels, the, the choice of, of reading or writing that they could do because it was a little bit restricting. So by opening it up to more of these thematic approaches, it really gives students a lot more choice in, in what they can do within that theme and still stay on par with the standards and the frameworks and as they move through. She's also done a lot of work, which we're going to see for the first time next year, where it's, it's really going to have a close tie to what they're doing in their social studies classes. Um, that was a very thoughtful kind of partnership that when a student goes from English and the novel that they're reading there will have a direct tie into what they're learning in their social studies class. So um, I've always been very interested in interdisciplinary connections, and I really think we're starting to build some strong ties there. So um, some of the required courses are a little bit limiting, um, but I, I think as we look to expand either um, you know academic electives within certain areas and, and giving kids a lot of choice in there, their input is invaluable. Uh, and the conversations with their teachers and the department chairs and um, either from a, a leveling standpoint of, of you know course recommendations and things like that but certainly things that they would want to see added to our catalog I think it, it starts and ends with what the students want and we try to pay attention I know Dr. Chamberlain does with her team of um, kind of what's out and about in other communities and maybe what kids are going off to college to study we've we've talked a lot at these meetings about kind of growing our business program at some point mm -hmm. so it's just you know kind of what do we bite first? There's, there's so oh, many yeah. things. No, I, and I recognize on. it's a multi-layered yeah. chess game. You know, there's yeah. space, there's enrollment, class size yeah. teachers who could teach the course. There's many things yeah. to uh, that, that <coughs> come to play. But I, I, I was struck by how interesting the new English um, electives look. And then I, 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 we were together in that, that meeting and yeah. the repeated um, theme about history yeah. was something I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Just like in the middle school, I was not expecting the repeated theme about the library. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it's wonderful that yeah. they're they're interested. And so anyway, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the the new classes and. Yeah, I mean, I always have a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, I do a few things. Um, the AP, like including sophomores, I have many friends who are in AP classes and all the feedback is very positive. Um, you know, whether they're going to plan on those six APs their senior year, if they want to load their schedules up, um, it really gives them more opportunity to explore all the different aspects of the AP courses, um, which is really nice to just get a head start. That way you're not feeling that, oh my God, junior year is going to be the worst. Um, you kind of get to ease into it, which is nice. Um, English tying into social studies, I think is going to be so much easier for us um you know even in my english class this year it's been like oh are you guys doing this in history and we're like 
kind of, sort of, almost. Um, but I think once it kind of ties together, it'll just have that big like, ah, that's what I'm doing, um, which is gonna just be so helpful for students um, across the board, I think. Um, performing arts electives, I think um, that was a perfect example of recognizing students are really interested in this. Um, you know, I took dance my freshman year and I was like, I wanna do more. I mean, I'm a dancer, so of course I want to. Um, but that want um, to pursue more, I think is something big that I've seen throughout students. So being able to actually um, continue in the course and know more about it rather than just taking an elective um, for half a year, it might be good. And then I did have one question about um, another AP class that I've heard of. Um, AP Music Theorem, is that? So I was, you're reading my mind because I was like, oh, I forgot to mention that. It came up last year yes. and um, we are trying to run it for this year. So it is in the okay. program of studies. Miss um, Eckersley is working hard to seeing who's, but it's gonna be an option um, yeah. for students to register for. So yes, I, that's I know my we, bad that I should have re-brought that to your attention. Right, because we funded it for this year, and I didn't mm -hmm. see it, so I was wondering what happened to it. When that happened, it was a little bit after our course selection uh -huh. process, so the timing was off, and so then when we tried to backpedal to get enough students, to get enough students, we had already had the individualized conversations, we had already moved, uh -huh. so kids had a hard time. Understandably, they had made some conscious decisions about what they could take and what would fit, and it was hard for them to kind of go back and make different. So now that it's in there, with the timing, now it's gonna be presented with everything else. So it will so be an option for It's gonna be an option. Okay. Great. And the way we'll see it in your menu. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the way we run it, so just more to your point, um, so we offer all of these things, but what runs? So I could make my life really easy and just roll over the year. Sorry, there might have been 62 kids wanting to take that class, but I didn't want to make a whole new schedule. We don't do it that way. So you'll see things fluctuate a little bit from year to year. There might be one section of AP pre-calc next year and maybe two the year after, then maybe back to one. So it's really student-driven, so it means that we're building a whole new schedule every year. So the, the, the department heads are all like re-looking at teachers, it's all based on, we look at how many kids signed up for each class and then we base how many sections, how many sections do we need to have all of those students make, get into those classes, and then we figure out which teachers are we gonna pair with those classes. So it's student driven. So like for example, and talking about the history electives, history and film and street law have both been more recent additions. And that came out of conversations that students were having with the history department. So those are newer electives, if you will, I think like six and five years ago, if my memory is serving correct. Um, I think forensics came during the time that CSI got popular. And we, still, <laughs> we still run it because it's a very popular course and now they've, they've brought it to a whole nother level. So. It's just interesting how, to your point, things change and interests of our students change and we just try to keep up with you guys. <laughs> we're a little bit like, not like the three-year-old with the iPad, we're a few, you know, we're, we're, we try to keep up with you guys. But We appreciate it, thank yes. you. Yes. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I want to, I mean, so when, when um, Principal Sperling, you presented um, at a very high level the change in the, um, I want to say semesterization model. Is that, was that, that was the word. Yeah, that was the word. I got it. Offer. I got it's it. It's an earworm. All right. Yeah, it's made stick. Yeah. So when you, when you covered that, I, I understood it, but possibly because it was the second time around yeah. for me. But I, I, I uh, got that, and I uh, can see instantly how they are become, it, it's easier managed, and there are more opportunities for more choice 
because the, the, the blocks are all exactly the same. Um, but I, I know it wasn't clear to everyone, and you spent some time um, putting together some additional materials that are in the packet, and I just wondered if any um, member of the school committee of this panel wanted to talk about questions or cover that a bit more? I mean, it's up to you if you want to discuss the um, how you rework. I, I don't understand the schedule. Um, so I, if you want to walk people through it again, sure. that would be great. And then I do have questions after that. So, okay, great. Yeah, so again, I think the, the concept is to, we have these, had these outlier areas where classes weren't meeting every day. And, and because we didn't have a lot of those, um, it was forcing students to sort of have studies opposite those um, or tie up in some areas an entire class period for a full year. Uh, when it was really only meeting part-time. So by going to this semesterized model, which is a very common model, um, where everything is condensed and it's every day for either a semester or for the full year, it really frees up the areas that there was, for lack of a better word, sort of dead space, where there was nothing to fill it with. And, and um, there really isn't a system where there's a lot of those revolving, because it's just, it's too much, there's too many locks that sort of prevent the scheduling. Um, so when we compared sort of to some other school districts and that had a similar master schedule or in some areas an identical master schedule to ours that really the time on learning is maximized. Uh, the students are able to project further out because they don't necessarily know when they go into schedule. They might put that these are their top electives, but they really don't know until the rubber hits the road where they landed. And sometimes that can kick out some other opportunities as well. If they thought they were going to have a second period um, yoga, for example, but they ended up, because that's the only place that AP Calc BC fits, then they end up with something else. And this really eliminates a lot of that. So there'll certainly still be choices that students will have to make with some of their courses, um, especially as they get sort of up the ladder. But um, the other area that we noticed was that some of our students that receive special education services, uh, some had it every day, some had it every other day. If they had it every other day, the only place for them to land was in studies which just didn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense that they had this excellent support from a special educator and um, you know even if they were doing exceptionally well it just made sense for them to have that consistent landing spot um, so this allows us to really kind of consolidate that as well and give our special educators a lot more face time with their their students that they work with and they are the ones that are writing the goals and um, writing the IEPs for those students so the, the more time with those students to learn their profiles, their strengths and weaknesses was also a, a really nice net add to this program as well. If you look at the handout in the front cover, I, I created a, like a, a two sample students, what their course, what their, like if you just looked at their schedule, what they could fit now and what they can fit with the semesterization. So if you really see a student on an IEP with academic strategies, the way the wellness was every other day, that wasn't always in the same block. That couldn't always happen. So you're looking, that freshman did not get an elective, <coughs> which is not, you know, it's it's not ideal. We'd obviously like them because that's a lot of your freshman year is your prereq, you know, your required classes, your graduation requirements. So being able to put it in one semester, you now see that gives us a block where we can put an elective in there that they would want. So I don't know if this makes it a little more concrete because there's seven, so there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, so there's seven blocks that you can put classes in. And then if you think about our AP Bio and AP Chem classes, there was two sections of each, which means there was four different blocks that you had lab, which means that you 
would try to make wellness classes that fit opposite them, but they couldn't fit opposite all of that. And then you couldn't have like some of the APs opposite the lab or the real class. So that would be between the four sections, kids were having to make a lot of choices. And things where now by only having that take one block, okay, now there's less conflicts because we do offer a wide range of courses for our school our size. So there's not as many sections of each course because we have so many. We could give kids a lot less choices and we'll have more sections, but we're giving them a lot less choices. So there has to be like one or the other. Um, so the first thing that you schedule is singletons, which are classes that only meet once, and then doubletons, which are classes that meet twice. So you try to do those, but when you have a large number of those in every seven blocks in a day, you try to come up with formulas where these students typically take this and this together. And so by semesterizing it, it allows you to get more in there and also some of it, and a lot of times for our performing arts students, when they were doing the science labs, I mean, I already have eight different blocks with the four sections and the four labs. So there's eight different places that those two classes are going that impacts around 100 students. Then you're, somebody's not gonna get orchestra every day. It's, like, it's not physically possible. And then if you don't take it every day, you can't take it at honors. So it's trying to open those gates so that way we have students so it's as simple as like, yes, we're semesterizing and there's like 400 dominoes that can now, depending on you look at it, stand back up because there's not these blocks. So the piece I'm trying to understand is, is how does a wellness FTE change the schedule? So they are essentially the, the, the whole department that meets every other day mm -hmm. uh, with the exception of some of the electives as well. So. Um, trying to fix that which unlocks everything else. Mm -hmm. There was no way to keep one department meeting every other day and schedule those kids in um, without them having something opposite that that would result in a study. Um, so by allowing them, which again is a very, very common model, it's every school I've worked in has always had a full semester, um, not a three-day a cycle or four-day a cycle. So um, that was really the place that it would hit most in terms of the kids being scheduled into that in a consistent manner, um, rather than what we have now is some of our ninth and 10th graders have sort of the physical education component first semester, three days a cycle, and then they might have the health, a different period, second semester, three days a cycle, so their whole year, if you will, is interrupted and they have sort of four studies on the other end of that. This would eliminate all of that, that they would know ahead of time as they go into that school year, I have wellness first semester and I've got the entire block second semester for something that I really want. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions unless anybody else has some, okay. So a couple of things I'm trying to piece together. So um, how will this proposed schedule impact class sizes? So I think the hope would be as we open up more options, there's more places for kids to land. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's no set formula that says that AP Calc BC is gonna be less than 26. However, if it's considerably more than 26, we'll have two sections. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's kind of looking again, like Dr. Chamberlain said, um, the way that she does it is it's truly based on student selection. Um, there are some districts very close to us that say, we have two sections of AP Bio, if you're not in that, you're out, try it again next year. We don't do it that way. Um, and our teachers know that, so they're very flexible and willing to teach whatever sections the students demand. So um, again, I think students will go from eight potential courses that they can choose to 12. So that should allow it to spread out more than it can now. Um, and I think those AP lab sections, which were a little bit 
I don't know, like they weren't in physics, and physics has a lot of lab components as well. So I think that tying up two class periods um, really eliminated opportunities for kids to go elsewhere. So I think more of those students may have landed in the same classes that probably raised those section sizes as well. So, so oh, I, can, I can just elaborate. Mm -hmm. That might help more. So if you think of it this way, um, so you have to fit the wellness in. It's a four-year graduation requirement or something else. Because we had all these every other day classes, sometimes one class would have, let's say, I don't know, 19 students in it, and one has 23. But in order, because of the, this every other day class and that every other day class, I'm trying to get the student their top choices. So now instead of being able to put that student in the smaller class that is 19 and make it 20, I have to, you know, I'm trying to put it, now I have to put it in the 24. So in terms of class sizes, it will help make it more flexible so that we can move students around. Because the final step is after you get students the things that they want, you, you go back through and you try to say, okay, well that section's a little bit smaller, how can I move that? And the more things that don't fit together, the less movability you have between the classes. So that affects class sizes, not necessarily overall, but it might not make them as equitable or as equal as you would necessarily want them to be because you have too many things weighing it down. I, was, I had a conversation earlier today and Jenga came up. And I was thinking a lot about it, and I meant to bring it, and I didn't, so my apologies, but I was literally going to bring Jenga and a checkerboard, and I was going to set up Jenga and show you, like, pretend Jenga is a student's schedule, and then I'm going to pull out a Jenga piece and put in a checker piece. Everything kind of wobbles and fall apart. That's sort of how the best way to explain it. Wellness has been hand-built at the end of the schedule after putting all of the academics in. And another difficult thing about that is it's also a very small department. So you don't have as many teachers to be moving things around. So if you're trying to get students all those academic, top academics that they want and then put wellness in after, but it's every other day and it's a small department, so you're trying to make sure that the, it, it can create blocks where we don't want blocks. So I'd like to bring forward some information or perspective to the committee just for our conversation purposes. So Canton I has a four-year wellness requirement for graduation. Um, as we've talked about, Mass Core. Mass Core requires phys ed as required by law. There is not a wellness requirement under Mass Core. So I pulled the uh, Mass General Law for Public Education phys ed, and it's one year every year a student is in, in public school. So my, my first question is, and this is really, you know, wellness in PE, in theory, it should be a full year of PE. It sounds like we do a half year of PE and a half year of wellness. So that's sort of my first thing to sort of consider is, is um, are we in some respects tying our, our hands with requirements in that particular requirement? Um, so that I bring that forward as, as a point of, because if, if we're trying to do you know, PE and wellness, we're doubling up what we're, what we're requiring <clears throat> the schedules to accommodate. Um, the other piece that, um, you know, when, when Mr. Spelling we were here the last time, I asked for class sizes because uh, certainly it's something we've heard anecdotally through our teacher surveys, concerns about class size, and you know, I'm sorry, not anecdotally, from st staff surveys we've heard class size concerns, and from parents we've heard class size concerns. So, so um, I pulled, uh, and so I, we, school committee received that data this, this week on Tuesday. So I was able to work with it a little bit, and for the committee's understanding, for ELA, science, math, and social studies, our class sizes guidelines are 22 to 24. And for world languages, they're 18 to 20. And <clears throat> right now, we currently have 42 classes at Canton High over that 24 limit. 
we have 27 at 24 and we have 16 classes at 23. Um, so, and I think within world language, we also have quite a few classes that are well above uh, that 18 to 20 limit. So, and then if I sort it by level, right now we have 10 AP classes, above, you know, 20 CP classes and 48 honors classes that are in that window of classes that are above our limits. Uh, I was surprised um, to find we have class sizes of 28. Um, I was really, we have a AP calculus that's at 28. You know, so we have a range of classes that have very, they're not, I think, quite high. They're well above our guidelines. And understandably, that's not hard and fast, they're guidelines, but, you know, I'm concerned that we have so many classes of such large sizes in the district. And again, especially right now, honors are the highest group at 48, CP at 20, AP at 10. So I come to the committee to say, personally, I'm more concerned with us getting our class sizes down. I'm very focused on that because especially when we're talking um, by AP Biology, AP Chemistry, AP English Language, Literature, Statistics, those are very high numbers for uh, a, a, a virtually a college level class. So, um, so, so in addressing part of that, so if you look at it, what's important to you is to look at like, for example, the two AP bios, look at the total number and then see what the average is when you combine that total. Mm -hmm. So part of the issue with one of them being bigger than the other one, and the same thing happened as Kevin is this second block and wanting to get kids orchestra and wanting to get kids the other thing. So mm -hmm. it's either students aren't going to get multiple things they don't want, or we'll have two classes that aren't around the equal class size. And all of the department heads are given those rosters and the teachers are given that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So we really try to put student choice first. So by unlocking some of these other things, it's going to allow that balancing. So yes, there are those, but in trying to not have so many things that are, don't fit together, it will allow the movement to balance some of those out. Um, a couple of the AP classes that are over, we had a transfer cohort that came in this fall and some of those students were very high achieving. So the numbers of students in some of those classes based on the sections that we made, you can't predict the students that are coming and in what number and where they're gonna fall. Um, so sometimes that happens in certain areas, especially if they're coming mid-year and they've already started a class at another school and then they're here. I try not to take that student out of class, especially in AP that they already started somewhere else. Would it be Excuse me, Ms. Miranda, could you send the speakers close oh, to the sorry. microphone? Oh, yes, of course. Thanks. Please speak into the mic. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the pieces too that's worth restating is, is we don't try to cap at a certain amount and allow kids not to take the class. So I think that's a, a philosophy that you know we sort of inherited here at Canton that mm -hmm. I think we all buy into. So there's always that tipping point of when you create a second section so that we're not running two sections of... 15 or two, you know, so it's it's a delicate balance and it's something that, that the department chairs really work hard to make sure that they're giving kids those opportunities to take the classes. Um, and I think at some point we we do go up a little bit. We'd love to have very, very small class sizes mm -hmm. everywhere. That would be the dream. Um, but I think when we look at do we add two additional students and give those two students that opportunity that they really want, knowing it's going to put us at a higher level, or do we say, sorry, not this year, try again next year? Mm 
Um, and it's that balance, so. Right, but, oh, sorry, go ahead. I just have two comments based on the conversation that we're having. One, is it fair to assume, based on what you just shared with us, that this is an exception of the high, very high, high number of students in classes? That, just, like, just let me just, one, one second, one second. And the other one, sorry. <laughs> and my other question is, at what point is it okay to add those two extra students in comparison of that evaluation of are they going to get the best education possible that we can offer yeah. considering the size. So I don't trade know. off. Yeah, so what is a trade off? So we don't make any decisions about kids moving um, right. from class to class. The department had us to sign off on it, the teacher, the school counselor, the parent, the student, myself, and an assistant principal. So it's a decision, so six, seven people. Um, with new students, if it's something where it might put it over, I always reach out first. I may not give a student a complete schedule and say I'm gonna look into seeing if I can make that happen and then figure it out so it becomes a conversation. Um, it varies from year to year. Um, it sort of, because each year is different, some years it's, it, it, it's not identical. It just isn't. So there might be certain areas where you might see higher, um, you might see higher numbers um, in certain in a particular subject area, and then in other areas you might say lower, and then it might be the, a different situation the following year. So I would be interested in maybe doing a follow up now that we have a data um, expert and lots of dashboards that can be generated just to figure out because I understand that it changes from year to year and it's really not predictable per se, but. Could we find some trends? Is there something that we're seeing throughout the years that would help inform? Are we seeing these large, large classes and maybe why or maybe trending back? And then my other question was at what point is it really beyond the conversation from an expert's position, is it worth it to create this large class for that student that really wants to take it or, or not? Like, are we adding one student to benefit that student, which is great, but what are we taking out right. from the class? I don't, I don't know, I'm not in the field, okay. so it's no, Those are great questions, and, and they're ongoing conversations. Department chairs and the AP teachers are really strong advocates in both directions. Mm -hmm. They certainly want to preserve the sanctity of that classroom and the effectiveness and um, a good ratio where they can prepare the students as best as possible while not feeling like they're sort of being strict gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely, it's, it's, those are thoughtful conversations. And it probably varies based on the type of class. You know, I would wager that maybe a lab science class, physical space is an issue. There's only so many lab stations in the room. So, uh, you know, versus maybe AP microeconomics where the kids can kind of find their space and, and maybe that's a class that can be a little bit larger than um, some of the others, but. Is it similar like when you go to college? I don't know how high school works in general. If it's a large class, could you have a TA come in and help with a large class? We don't really have TAs. <laughs> or something um, similar to we that. We have uh, educational assistants, but they're assigned for okay. students with specific learning profiles. So, okay. Um, Just considering if we're having these large classes and people want to get into the class, could we supplement or help the teacher cover the rest of the students that are wanting to learn? microeconomics because yep. I remember taking microeconomics in a humongous classroom but you had other people that would help yep. you through it yeah our option at this point really would be to try to split them into two okay. and, and make sure that we have enough um, staffing to sort of absorb that I'm clearly not the, the expert so yeah. that's why I was None asking of the classes <laughs> being in here for reference they're not this big so well, this is definitely a hard one because yeah, it's spacing it's yep. staffing it's and then I understand like limiting the number of classes so that you can get better ratios I mean there's a lot of issues 
that's it. I wanted to. I wonder <laughs> if you're exploring this all through um, the NIASC process. Absolutely. I mean, if if you'll arrive at a place where there's a, you know, maybe it's the same or it's a evolved point of view. On, on what to do. Yeah, and a lot of what they'll see is what we give them. So, you know, when our, our staff are working on the self-reflection and uh, if class sizes comes up as a priority, that's what we tell them to ask and that's what they come in and expect us to um, show some improvement. So, um, yeah, I mean, culture, achievement, absolutely. all those things, yeah. and it's tough. You want to make sure that the classes are really interesting, yeah. but at the same time... Yeah. And again, I think as we add classes, you know, not, I don't want to just focus on AP because this is yeah. across the board, but as we add classes that students can sort of filter into by adding like an AP government, the thought would be that, that some of the students might take that instead of one of the other AP sections, so then both sort of come to a good C level, if you will. Um, and then if we find that there's certain classes that in a given year are extremely popular and we sort of start to see that trend, then we know going in we're going to anticipate multiple sections of that class as well. And also I'm on the committee that Julie Shore is running for the new student information system, so I can ask lots of questions about what student information systems can do and what how, because those have an impact on how you can build a schedule too. So. So I, I know I highlighted the AP classes as, as having large class size. The vast majority, though, are, are honors classes. Mm -hmm. And we're talking, you know, U.S. History 1, U.S. History 2, Spanish 3, English 4. So we're not talking sort of that high level. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the, those core classes. So, you know, how do we deal with that? How do, how do we get those class sizes down? I mean, I definitely think world language... I mean, those, those are world language because of the speaking component. Not that everybody wouldn't like smaller class sizes, but there's a different element in those. So those that was a big run in trying to figuring out when we sat down with Heidi in the spring, trying to figure out where to put the FTEs and spread it. Um, yeah. yeah, there are certain areas that were that are tighter than others, if you will. Yeah, because uh, you know it's um, Spanish three seemed mm -hmm. to be a big one. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so again, these are the classes that we're talking about you know, exceeding our guidelines are basic classes, English, history, not the higher, you know, again, the AP. So I, I think that to me is a concern. So we have kids coming in as freshmen, you know, taking however many, there's however many sections of honors English, and they're relatively large classes. And then that just continues. So, you know, I think we always come at it from the perspective that we are the funding mechanism. Obviously, we, we don't know what you need until you tell us. Um, so do we need to fund another FTE? I mean, I, so this leads me to my second question, which is, I, I know this is all predicated upon um, another FTE wellness teacher, but we're still developing the budget. So we, we, won't, we may or may not vote on the budget tonight. So I'm curious about predicating this based on mm -hmm. a budget that we're still building. Yeah, yeah it's a challenge for sure mm -hmm. um, there's no other way to do it so it is kind of unfortunately an all-or-nothing mm -hmm. um, to kind of go back to the structure that we have now I think would be a huge step backwards from I think where we could land um, mm -hmm. and that's shared by all the department chairs that I think there's a lot of excitement around this knowing and, and we've told them all along the way that it's it is hinged on the budget it's not an us decision solely um, you know, we can't fix the equation by adding a, a Spanish teacher. It's not; it doesn't do anything to unlock it. So that's kind of where we landed with that wellness teacher specifically, is to sort of open up all of the departments. There isn't another metric that would allow us to do that. Um, it may get our 
section numbers down in, in English, for example, mm -hmm. but it won't do anything to sort of open up those other structures. So do, do we need to revisit our, our requirements, our wellness requirement for graduation? I mean, no one's saying wellness is, is not necessary, but are we, are we you know, really um, hamstringing ourselves as a district by requiring, you know, we have the phys ed that we're required by law to have, but layering a wellness on top of that, as opposed to it being an elective students can take, but is not a requirement. I just have a clarifying question. Are our students taking the full, are our students meeting requirement for phys ed as, as defined by, um, by I would say the guidelines? We'll be, we'll be challenged on that in our current model. Right now? Yes. But in, how about in the? So what we would, the definition, and, and Mr. Hughes is here to answer some questions as well. By combining what we currently have into a wellness, it ties into that is physical education. Physical education no longer means it's not just the body moving; Correct. it's also correct. Mind. So it's there's been that health dynamics and the physical education; mm -hmm. those two combine into wellness. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And give us a lot of flexibility with tying in some of the leadership components and some of the core pieces that we know our kids value. Yeah. Um, Mr. Hughes met with a, a group of students to get their feedback on what they would like to see, yeah. and that's kind of where things landed where they were. So, um, you know, the definition and the hours, and, and Mr. Hughes and I had some conversations about actually the, the hours that they look for when they define it, um, we're not there. I feel like the model that we've put forward with that one semester each year um, is very defendable. Uh, and I think it will stand up to our reaccreditation. And, and um, I would struggle that every other day for a semester would meet those requirements. And that's currently what we have. I see. I see. Sorry. Um, I, I just had to ask that question. But Ms. Marin, you were asking everybody a question about the health requirements. Right. So, um, wellness requirements. Sorry. Yeah. And I'm just referring back to the Mass Corps. And uh, you know they, they do. Does Mass Corps change the state's physical education requirements? Um, no, it affects the legal requirement that phys ed be taught as required subject as a required subject in all grades. Um, so it, it defines here you know, physical activity. So that's what I'm saying. You know, I, I think it's it's a conversation to have. It, I, I think um, personally, speaking as one person, it, it sounds like it is. I I agree with you. I mean. It, so, uh, trauma and stress and emotional wellness—it's uh, critical, as well as physical activity. We do happen to have a district that's very active. I would say we have a healthy, robust sports program. That said, I—I'm married to a gym teacher, a physical education teacher, so I obviously support all of this. But um, the idea that um, we, you, you have already revisited and decided um, how to better organize the schedule so that there is more choice for students um, is heartening as well as aligning with mass core standards and I, personally I think everything should always be open to discussion but certainly led by um, you know our administrators and our um, department chairs if you think that's something that you want to do um, particularly coming out of me asking everything else uh, wellness is critical Physical education is critical. It's, it, I guess, as you see how this, to me, this schedule rolls out, whether or not that's another piece of it, that we want to have some variability, meaning I think what I'm hearing, wellness as more of an elective. 
Well, uh, and an alignment where PE is the well, true requirement. I'm getting hung up, hung up on, as I said. I mean, I, I'm hearing the wellness is the key to unlocking the schedule, et cetera, et cetera. I, from my perspective, I think there are other pieces that have really jumped out at me. Name these these class sizes. That's so if you if you said to me this this is going to this schedule is going to accomplish, um, you know, it's going to be better. Plus, we can we absolutely see us getting within these school committee guidelines in terms of class sizes. Um, I would be more receptive to it, but um, again, if you know, if I ran the world, the focus would be getting our class sizes down um, next year. You know, because again, these are significant number of classes are well above our guidelines, and um, that's troubling to me as a as a school committee member. Yeah, I think we'd all concur. That's yeah. key. Um, and I, I, I missed. I didn't say last year we talked about that leadership course and really wanting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to create huge access to it or a different level of access um, for any student who'd want it as opposed to sort of isolated. So I'm thrilled to hear that and people don't realize that um, some of those pieces fall into wellness in the curriculum as well. So it's there, there's a lot there and I didn't want to um, just paint a, a blanket picture that it has to do with just one aspect. That said, Ms. Cummings has been very patiently waiting to speak to pass the mic. Um, I'm not going gonna, gonna to be honest, I'm a little lost. Um, well, first of all, I think with the class sizes and course selections, um, when you guys put us and our choices, like student choice first, um, I think it's greatly appreciated, like so much. And I don't want class sizes where you know you would have to put that limit. I don't want students to feel, oh, it's gonna cap off easy. You know what? I'll just go with this and deter them from taking something that they could start in high school and really pursue on in their lives. Um, I don't want students to feel that like. Well, I mean, if everyone's going to take this, you know, maybe I just will hold back on it. So to your point, that's what we're here for. Yes. So we fund the teaching positions. Right. So if we need that, that's why we're here. So we, I mean, I think we don't want large class sizes. Mm -hmm. So if you need more sections, that's what I'm trying to bring forward is that if the class sizes are big, how do we fix that? Mm -hmm. So if that is, that's is our, in our role as a funding mechanism. So to your point, I don't, I want this, I don't want that either. I don't want kids not mm -hmm. signing up because they figure what's the point, mm -hmm. but the point is for me, how do we make it happen so the kids can get what they want in class sizes that are within what we have deemed desirable. Yeah, and then just looking at the schedule. Um, you don't understand that? That's not clear to you? I mean, the colors are very nice and helpful, <laughs> but I mean, um, I'm going to... you with <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Um, no, I like did a, the first page. <laughs> lovely. Um, no, you did the other pages that I... <laughs> I I'm going to use myself as an example. Yeah. So right now, I'm taking... Correct me if I'm using the wrong actual classes, but I have health skills. I'm a sophomore, so I have health skills exercise science exercise yep. science yep. um and then i have a study for i so i have a study for six days which i totally don't mind but um <laughs> and then next semester i'll have my two electives so mm -hmm. i'll be taking photo two and theater tech mm -hmm. so you know that's what the schedule looks like now <coughs> what how does that somehow change so i have health and gym right now in the first semester yep. Are they but, the same block? Yes. So you got... You're lucky. You're like... You have the luxury vehicle. <laughs> so for you, it, it married very nicely, right? Okay. So one is like one, one A135 and one A246. Yeah. So, but that doesn't happen all the time. Yes. 
So some students, that block that we can fit that in, I don't have an opposite. Like I can fit exercise, science, A135, but I don't have the other component there. Okay. I, have, I only have one in a different block. Okay. So, so and that's where the study comes in. Yeah, everyone would get what you have. Oh. If they had the wealth. married together like in the same little box, same little present wrapped in a bow like together. So that way, access to all those electives that you Okay. So very craftily got. Well, that's nice. Um, yeah. So, with my, I have six studies. Would that be now an opportunity for me to take another elective instead of studies? Mm -hmm. So I could either take electives or have a study. Yep. Is there a way to? I mean, this might be like a big like ask, but like I'm I'm very busy, so I really like my studies mm -hmm. to kind of catch up. Um, mm -hmm. But is there a way to have like? that alternate day studies with those alternate classes still? So the only alternate classes that we have are the wellness are the sections. Wellness ones. Yeah. yeah, so and unfortunately some kids, it's split over two semesters, it's not, right. so it, it really can have an impact on the whole year. Yeah. You're the lucky one that sort of lined it up. So, but what we would, students could choose to take a study for a consistent, it wouldn't be in every other day, it would either be every day for a semester or uh, but you could choose which semester you wanted that to land in. Okay. All right. No, go, you're good. Uh, wait. No, you're, you're good. good. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is the controversial, controversial question, but if we were to, and I'm not committing anyone to anything, I'm just asking the question, if we were to add the wellness position that we're talking about, if we were to add another FTE for one of these large size classes, would that be helpful to the size of the classes Absolutely. that we're currently seeing. Yeah. So are we talking about the fact that we need more money to give you? Like, do we need two FTEs? Is that what would... <laughs> I know Steven's gonna kill me. I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm, but I'm, I'm like trying to understand. I think it's, it's hard to say what, <laughs> what next year is gonna look like. I mean, it, it's... Selfishly, I would take any number of FTEs that were available. Um, it's It's a great problem to have. <coughs> Earmuffs, Mr. Marshall. But yes, we must defer to Mr. Marshall and Mr. I was not committing no, anyone to anything. I, have a, I, I want to pose a question. I, I don't, I'm not trying to answer the question, but to truly fix the class sizes that were referenced, I think 42 classes that are over 24, right? You are going to need partial FTE of multiple teachers. An yes. English teacher is not going to help fix your class size of... Right you know, a math class. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong? No, but I think what's important to consider is you have to look at example for at all the at all the Algebra One college preps and you have to get the average of those class sizes. Because by unlocking the schedule with the wellness teacher, it's gonna allow more freedom for the counselors to pick things that we can maybe balance those classes out better. So it's like, yes, we'd love to fix everything at once, but we sort of need to see this is definitely gonna have an impact how many of those can we then keep under that because we have more freedom in the schedule to move more things around? Does that make sense? It's like, and with the new student information system, is that gonna have greater capacities to put different, it's gonna have different bells and whistles or the same and more, like whatever the decision is of the committee and the school committee and however that works, but there's a lot of exciting things changing and happening and it's like, if you do too much at once, then you also don't know what's impacting what. Yeah. So yes, yes, with more FTEs, yes, 100%, <laughs> wonderful. 
but it's hard to know where until we can see how this. And I think a, a good way to look at it, like we know the vast majority of our juniors take U.S. history too. So we take that class size, we know how many sections we have, we divide it, we come up with what that average is. The average is great, but we're not able to equally distribute those kids because the schedule's a little bit hamstringing. So um, with more ability to give, maybe they could have it, they've got a choice of three periods, they could be in US history, and we can put them in the smaller section as we start to fill it. We don't have all those options as much as we would want now based on some of the, either the singleton sections, the partial courses, the student that really wants chorus has to take it, that three day cycle and it only fits during this period, so they can't take US history that period. So I think when we look at the numbers in the, if we had the perfect distribution, our class sizes would be really, really good. That's not the reality and the hope of unlocking some of the scheduling constraints will allow us to do that better. I'm not gonna promise it's gonna be perfect. There'll probably be outlier sections um, especially for some of the graduation requirements that we know the vast majority of our kids are going to land there in a given year. Um, but also unlocking AP classes to sophomores frees up some of those really heavy landing spots. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're getting there and we're starting to put the, the Jenga puzzles together. Um, but the, you know, the perfect solution is, is very difficult to find. Um, our staff to student ratio I think is, is exceptionally well compared to some of our counterparts. I think we're in really, really good shape. Um, and the more that we can get sort of flexible with where we can put those kids should help. I think that your last comment is really important because that was my, ne my next question was, if we were looking at the trends over the last few years, let's say we include this wellness teacher or FDE, are the, the, is the population growing to the point that we need to look at more, more staff? Yeah. But if, if what you're seeing is that we are in a good ratio, then I'm thinking, I'm inclined to think that adding the FTE for wellness, we can give it a try and see what is the impact with the intent for the committee to look forward, I, I, I think, to maybe next year, do we really need to look at adding more staff? And we're also adding, if AP Music Theory runs, we're adding three new APs. So I kind of want to see how that shakes out. And again, because we're student driven, I can't tell you it's necessarily, oh, uh-oh, history, you know? So it's. You yeah, add new things and then you see how things fluctuate. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, I think just for one, I love this idea and it's I've seen it and lived it and I was smiling a lot when Dr. Chamberlain was talking about Singleton. She gave me a full lesson at one point in time about <laughs> the challenges. So it was nice to go through that one more time. Um, one, I think for the public to know, this is not a scheduled change. That's, that's a big difference. This is a course construction change that will impact how the schedule functions. So one clarifying point, because uh, I think when people hear different schedules, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a big change. So right. it's course construction, every course is kind of built in a similar manner, and they fit together, and it allows for some balancing. There's a lot of things, every move that you make, it has impact, and, and forever we talked about students not having guidance seminar and trying to fix that piece or you know too many studies or not being able to follow a passion area or not be able to double up on a particular course so Ms. Cummings you, you got that the luxury model where it did fit um, but there are some challenges it also lends itself to um, balancing issues between classes and I go to Dr. Chamberlain and say like why do we have 12 and you know, 28, and, and she kind of walked me through about the limitations. So there's hope there. Um, 
I'm a major advocate of the phys ed and health piece. I think some of the things that we've seen in YRBS studies, the evolution of what wellness looks like in our society today, um, how important it is from the student perspective, they have brought that forward. Uh, you know, there's, there's some uh, grants that we've recently engaged in. We see the numbers. I think health, not just as a, as a functional learning element, but as a very personal element through the high school years, I think it, it will be well received. It, that's that movement in taking care of yourself mentally. It's, when we talk about college and career readiness, my daughter's going to college. I've gone to all the, the elements. They mentioned wellness across the board at every single orientation. So there's got to be, there's that value there, and I think the time allotment of it, it's, it's, um, it's the right balance, and, and I think it would be very well received by parents, because it, it's tough when, you're, when your child is engaging in a number of different things that either it's mental health or physical health or element. There's, it's about not just, um, not just learning about something, it's, it's, it's how to live and how to perform at the highest level. So there's just that, that part of it. Um, I had the same reaction. I thought it was unique. I'm like, okay, we have a wellness position. Tell me about this. And then it was tied to so much more. Mm -hmm. The next portion is really about the, the budgeting piece and the projection. So soon the process will start and we'll get the simple tallies and, mm -hmm. and, and start going through that process called sectioning. Um, so one of the things that I can work with the committee on and bring back here is as we get our, our simple tallies, like how many, many sign-ups do we have for everything, it doesn't complete the schedule, but you can kind of project out what the new numbers will look like. And I remember doing this many years back. You kind of say, if we ran four sections, this isn't the perfect schedule, you know, just pure elements of numbers. And you say, we run four sections, this is what class size would look like. And you can project a little bit like, no matter what we do, we're going to be high here in this number. There's challenges in the sense of if you do partial FTEs, you can correct a problem. But Mrs. Sperling can tell you, trying to hire 0.2 right. English teacher or 0.4 right. is challenging. You do have to make a commitment almost to a, like a 1.0 mm -hmm. um, to have someone come on. They often ask, like, 0.6 is benefit eligible. That can be a draw sometimes. But we've both been in positions when we're trying to hire folks on a part-time basis, and it's we can't guarantee what their day looks like and their, the challenge. But that's that's one avenue, and that was that's something we can talk to. One thing I did talk to Mr. Sperling about is, so look, you know, your job is to advocate for this, and if you're seeing a hot point, then you got to come back to me and say, you know, I I know the budget's in cycle, you know, we have a budget where we don't have the town number, we don't have the state number. We think it's going to have to go way down as far as like where we are right now. But the one thing that I think we know to be true is that when we need staff, it has been supported and we kind of make it work. So last year, very late in the game, I had to come to the committee and, and look for two elementary teachers to work with sizes of enrollment and, and such. So I think we got to afford that same yep. flexibility and opportunity for the high school level as well to say, I'm not sure when it's going to come. It could be March, April, could be next week. They could get so excited they could come to me <laughs> with it. But that's the one thing I said, to, said. A discussion about class sizes and support for FTEs is a good thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your semesterization, 
idea in developing and evolving this is a really good thing. Mm -hmm. So that's what I pledge is that I think as we look at numbers and you know allow this process to play out, trust me, both of them are very comfortable to come to me and say, I think we need this. And I and I and you know from finance subcommittee, that flexibility of something over the summer and there's there's a lot of moves that happen. We have unique situations when I mean there's been times when five kids come in and they're all eligible to take a certain AP class and then all of a sudden you're like, it's July, like what do we gotta do? We have to run two sections, not one. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the important part of the conversation is we have a lot of things in the budget we have to value FTEs and uh, people most in our educators. So um, I will come back to you if, if I think we have to make that need. I, I, will ask. I will say to the point about the budget though, I, I am also uncomfortable with committing to, as I said, a position that we're still, the, the school committee has only heard this budget once mm -hmm. at the last meeting. Um, so I am uncomfortable with this process of, you know, asking for a vote to approve something that requires a position that hasn't been approved or funded by the committee. That makes me uncomfortable. So. Let me Could ask you that. Well, first off, I was just going to say, so it's 8 o'clock, I'm mindful of the time. I'm grateful for this conversation and all the work that's led up to it. It's <coughs> worthwhile and certainly everything that's happening is going to unlock student achievement and joy and all the things that we want to do. Um, with that point, would you want to hold it till later in the agenda after the budget discussion? And, and I'm, I'm actually, when I say would you, the committee, but would you advise that, uh, Superintendent Follin? I, I totally understand why it's not ideal, and I appreciate the yeah. call out. You normally have something that rises to the top right away. <laughs> I think it's. <laughs> There, there's two pieces here that I, I think are relevant. I, I don't know if we're going to... Is it budget before? Like is it yeah, I, I guess let me, let me lay out the realities that's in my head. Yeah. I know the importance of approving the program of studies because it goes out to parents. And yeah. it, um, it starts that course selection process. And I think as a high priority, as a superintendent, I think we have to stay committed to this position for what it can do and to do that. And I'm not... If we need to relook at the budget to look at other FTEs or having some other elements, I think that's an important part too. I said to the team, the assistant principals at the elementary level, because of that call for need and it, its ability to unlock some other reorganization in this particular position is a super high priority. Um, and I also I also think it's, it's our budget we're gonna approve at our level, and then it's gonna go through the town, and I think we're gonna face many different iterations. Uh, so, from a standpoint, I'm trying to advocate for our folks here, because I know the need to have a program of studies in hand, and they asked me beforehand, can we go forward with this, and I said yes. I think you have to make that commitment, and I have to just live by the commitment that there's a, a priority level within the budget. Now, if the budget falls apart, and we're not able to do it, we knew that risk, and we gotta come back, and and redo things. So, Mr. Marshall? Um, this doesn't make your decision any easier, but we don't need a vote tonight on the budget. We don't need a vote um, preliminary for the budget until February 2nd. Okay, so, so I just hypothetically doesn't solve it. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask that question, what is the typical timing? Are we on time, behind time, ahead of time? 
with the, I, obviously the sooner the better yeah. with all um, things. Signing tomorrow at the middle school to work with the eighth grade counselor to roll everything out because our program of studies night is February 9th. So write that down. Ideally. <laughs> so I'm literally finalizing the flyer tomorrow, working with them to get it out to eighth grade families. So as a point of information, we had the budget. It was uh, February 3rd last year. Was the um, course of studies. Sure. program of studies? Could we so. have um, conditional vote? Like, could we say yes, we're okay with this, con considering the budget? Like, well, we, we where is know. the committee? So, for I, I, for one, will follow in good faith that this is going to be the right okay. move. And I, I personally, just like as one member, I can see how it unlocks um, the opportunity to roll out a wave of changes that then will allow for, um, I'm sure, continued growth. So for me, I, I, I understand what the, the, the challenge and the timing and the queuing of this is, yeah. but um, I wouldn't want to hold anything up because I think we will go yeah. forward ultimately. And it, this is a lot, this represents a ton of work and actually huge transformation for the district. So I just don't want that to get lost in this. Really excited about this um, continued progression of our program studies and what the courses are that are being offered. I feel the same way. Um, complete confidence in our leadership and the experts on this. And I personally, just speaking for myself, feel comfortable going forward with the vote. So then it comes down to? I'm OK with the vote. I, my, my comment was more not, not in support, just in the reality that if it comes back to the budget and we need to readdress this budget because of whatever circumstances that are unknown to us now, that. There, it's known that it could happen, even will, though we might not want to. It will become a very top to. priority item, like almost. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, no option. It's got to be funded. Basically, something goes off besides this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a $75,000 budget ask that, um, if approved, rises to the top. It, it basically, okay. it can't go away. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, <laughs> um, out of a potential we don't know, you know, increase. Um, what do we think? Are you comfortable going forward with the vote? I am, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's just take the Considering take everything the that we talked <laughs> through, right? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Um, uh, in that case, uh, can I get, do I hear a motion for the approval of the CHS program of studies uh, as presented this evening? for the 2023-2024. So moved. Second. All right, all in favor? Aye. Aye. It's an aye for me. I'm gonna have to vote now. All opposed? Nay. All right, and so the, the, the CHS program of studies is approved by a vote of three in favor and one opposed. Thank you very much. Thank you, appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks to everybody involved. This is a massive change. Thank you. Very Absolutely. excited, and I'm excited um, for what's to come through the NIAS process as well. Up, 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 and onward. Thank you. Okay, so the next item on our agenda is E2. That is our negotiation update. Uh, we have um, just a short one, I think, 10 minutes or less. Yeah. Superintendent Foley, you want to take it? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'll mirror my comments that were in the, the paper today that, uh, you know, on behalf of the committee and collaboration with the CTA. I think we had some significant progress on Saturday's session. Um, it was really good to have you know, some strong tentative agreements with Unit E and some really positive progress with Unit A. Um, 
we were feeling really good about that. Uh, the mediator was a, a big help. Um, we know how important this is for the community and our educators, our overall school culture. We definitely remain committed to getting this done and to doing it well and uh, to keep thinking dynamically uh, make that happen. And, and uh, you know, the great news came in soon after we were done on Saturday, which was the uh, suspension of the, the work to rule that came at an incredibly important time as our as our uh, term two was coming to an end at our secondary levels. So it really, uh, you know, as I noted in, in my quote, it was really beneficial for our school community. It was a lift up moment and it really uh, helped greatly for our students as they close out the particular term. Um, and I, and yeah. I know uh, many teachers are right there, shoulder to shoulder with the students, helping them at the end of the term. It's critical time. Um, so we're just appreciative of to everyone involved. And our next session is January 24th, and uh, we're looking to, to keep moving forward and get an agreement done. So that's my negotiations update. I, I couldn't agree more. And we have, um, you know, there's, there's so much to say, yet so much we can't say. <laughs> Uh, we've, we've put out as um, much information as we can on the, the website to try to be transparent. That's on the Canton Schools um, webpage, cantonma.org. Uh, thrilled with the progress so far and the hope for um, bringing this to a resolution. What folks can't necessarily see probably uh, through the television camera is just how bloodshot Derek I, Derek's eyes are. <laughs> And I say it only as a person who feels just as tired, um, but as... as <laughs> I gotta get yeah, a mirror off here. No zoom-ins. You know what, like, let's get real person. Like, just how much work and effort and heart and soul is going into this, and we're not going to stop, and we're going to um, keep working to get to that positive resolution. Like, everybody is all in, has been, and I'm just appreciative to... Um, everyone for uh, the thoughtful work that continues. Thank you. All right. Any discussion or questions from the school committee on this topic? All right. So moving on to the next item on our agenda, that is item E3. Um, it has to do with our Rodman building slash Cole Harrington space discussion. Mr. Marshall has some updates for us on this important topic that I am really glad we are talking about now even at the beginning of the process. So thank you. Yeah, so we have a rental agreement um, for, uh, it's actually a combined agreement for space uh, with our modular um, space at the Galvin Middle School and then also um, space at the Rodman. Um, there was a request for proposals that was put out, I believe, in 2020, um, which was for uh, uh, multiple option years so I think it was a two-year agreement with three additional option years so um, it could be up to a five-year agreement um, we have uh, space um, concerns with our preschool currently um, and certainly uh, and, and <coughs> additional space so uh, just bringing this forward uh, for the committee to discuss in terms of uh, that agreement um, there would be uh, FY24 option year for next year, and then uh, there's an option year for the year after that. Um, there is not, we don't really have um, a great use for the space at the Galvin. Um, so really, uh, this is uh, specifically around the space at the Rodman. Um, it is five 
spaces uh, that are currently rented um, by Enable Incorporated um, with a Cole Harrington program um, that's running out of that space. So there's an office space uh, that is rented, uh, there's an indoor motor space on the third floor, and then there are three classroom spaces um, that are part of that agreement. Uh, next year, um, the agreement is for $69,000 um, is the total revenue uh, that would be um, received for that rental agreement. And Good. Mr. Fullen might want to add. Yeah, so the, the Mr. Marshall and I have had opportunities to talk about this need for space and is that reality. You know, we're growing at the pre-K level. We're growing uh, just around our need for, for particular office spaces and uh, conference spaces. We, we have relinquished a couple of meeting areas uh, that are really important for uh, to be able to make room for the, the pre-K program as such. We're almost in that need to, re, to do it again. Um, so the, the reality is our relationship with having Cole Harrington um, has to change and uh, their location over time uh, will need to change. And this is not a surprise to Cole Harrington and Abel. Had a great conversation with their CEO uh, late last week and Mr. Marshall had talked to her as well. She's fully understanding and um, knows that this is a, a something that's in a process and they're actively looking for new spaces in Canton. One thing I acknowledge to her and we want to acknowledge for the community is this is a nonprofit group that rents space for us. But they're not just renters, they are literally the fabric of, of our community and our youngest uh, as well. I mean, I, I walk in with half the parents each and every day and I see them for pickup. So they are Canton families. This is. Um, you know, a, a long, this is not a, a new organization, they've been around for decades. So in talking with their CEO, we, we committed to trying to, to work with them and to use appropriate timelines and some consideration and facilitate uh, trying to find some, some new space for them. Um, the CEO's a little new to the Canton area, so we're trying to make sure she's working with realtors and um, other folks that just sort of know the other areas and we've set up a few additional leads for them uh, which she has appreciated she's appreciated appreciative of, of the conversation um, we want this to be a good landing for everyone you know whether it's something that we we do in phases or uh, just land right now she knows both are an option um, that important and when she talks to me you know she'd been talking to mr. Marshall she's like I'm so happy you held the zoom because I I didn't want to feel like we were imposing or we like where we, we're really actively learning. And I said, I wanted to let you know, we need the space, but we want to help you as a community partner. So really good conversation. Just this week, we've had some new leads. Um, she knows the long-term plan is that they are going to have to find a different space. So we just kind of bring that, wanted to bring that to the committee and those important conversations to get where we all need to be and maintain relationships and value the community. So that's the report on that. Um, and as the weeks develop, we're happy to come back and kind of talk about how those leads might work out. So That's terrific, and thank you. The reason I said I was glad that we're talking about it now is just to be able to give parents um, and the community, as you said, they're part of the fabric of Canton, a notice of some, of some, some sort. And uh, I do think it's important that we obviously um, plan and use our space um, the right way well, but also provide flexibility and transition time and embedded in what you just mentioned is 
reaching out and helping with that transition a bit. And I do, I do appreciate the conversations that are already ongoing about finding space and just making sure that everybody has a soft landing, um, that nothing's done um, uh, in a way that completely displaces um, Cole Harrington or any of the families, because certainly they are um, important to us as well. But at the same time, we do have to, I, I understand, um, make sure that the, the buildings of the Canton Public Schools are used if there is need coming from families who are part of the Canton Public Schools. Yeah. <coughs> I will say, going through the warrant, um, I've had Mr. many conversations with Mr. Marshall about you know preschool for the next classroom. So I've been amazed because I don't know where they're going to go. <laughs> We've already lost that. We typically meet, I think it was room 28. That room's been, so I think that's a piece of it as well, is our, our community preschool is growing. So yes, it's a delicate balance. Um, but yeah, the preschool is, is really growing, and I just don't know, you know, where, where they're carving out the space. So, just as sure as we He's can. He's very yes. creative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he yeah. shared with us where the new space. I mean, we, the the reality is, um, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we might, you know, we might be in a need uh, even prior to next year for additional space for our pre-K program, um, potentially as early as March. We have some plans in place um, that will require us to potentially take some more. Um, meeting space that we have um, you know potentially for the short term and uh, and and we'll continue to to evaluate um, different spaces um, there has been talk we also house the food pantry um, at the Rodman building um, so that is another area that certainly we're not um, you know looking to to displace that either um, but there has been some preliminary conversations that they um, you know might be looking for some different space as well um, and so we'll continue to to be creative um, you know the the reality too is it, none of the space flows in a in a great manner um, and so we you know we need to look at that uh, I think we need to look at the entire building this was part of the 2017 um, study right I you know I see plans of um, first and second grade classrooms that were uh, designed at one point for the Rodman so uh, this has been a topic of, of conversation for a long time in Canton um, and the building itself is is an old building and, and it doesn't lend well to um, you know making any changes uh, so We'll be creative. We'll do what's best. Um, but there are other aspects, um, just bathrooms, for example, um, in, in running a preschool, um, making sure that you have, you know, necessary facilities um, for very small children, um, you know, is, is something that we have to take into consideration um, that is not ideal um, in, in the current setup. So uh, I think there's a lot of conversations. It's not something that can be fixed overnight. Um, and again, uh, you know, we want to be good community partners. Uh, Cole Harrington and Canton Public Schools have had a relationship for many, many years. Um, and so we'll continue to, to have the conversations that we need to to try to help um, and then evaluate the space so that we can utilize it the best for both our pre-K program and our administrative offices. That's terrific. Um, creativity, thought, and great care, transition, all sound wonderful. Thank you. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued that the modulars, the Galvin, wouldn't couldn't possibly. No, I'm, I'm sure you've totally evaluated this, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say totally evaluated, right? Okay. Um, obviously, there's always um, <laughs> there is a need for space in that building as well. Right. Um, it would be hopefully fingers crossed. It, it would be a short term change, right? Right. right. Um, it includes uh, th that would include the need for um, exiting the building 
and returning to the building, uh, there yes. are um, a variety yes. of different considerations that need to be taken. Sure. Uh, and so far, we have not found a specific program or something that would work um, utilizing that space. Um, so, okay. let me play if then yeah. for a minute. Um, and I, I totally agree with you that Cole Harrington, we want to make sure that a, a wonderful spot is found um, for Cole Harrington. Assuming if that's the case, Cole Harrington is found, might the food pantry be able to use the modulars at the Galvin, freeing up more space for the incoming? So um, our conversation, and that's why I preface that way, would um, we would not disrupt the current agreement with Cole Harrington with the modulars. Oh, that stays. Okay. If they found a location that was kind of all-encompassing for it, or no, I don't know. Again, playing if then. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we would consider all different types of, of sure. um, scenarios um, with with that space. It's not it's not great space, okay. you know. I was just inspired by the Jenga talk in the last presentation. <laughs> I'm trying to play my own version of Jenga right now, <laughs> moving the pieces around. Yeah. In the name of creativity. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Thank yeah. You. Awesome. I mean, we so we just yeah we we just uh, redid an entire walkway. Uh, one of the other walkways to those modulars is um, uh, is failing um, and is is likely going to to need to be closed or, or to be replaced. Um, those are they're just you know, like the rest of the Galvin, um, <laughs> there is a need for for replacement um, of a lot of uh, a lot of that. So it, it just from that reason, it's not a great place for anybody to go into. Okay, got it. Thank you. Any other discussion? Hearing none, we will move on to the next item on the agenda. Okay, that is E four our superintendent's formative assessment. And so this is meant to be a mid-year progress report on our district goals and uh, the superintendent goals that were set uh, earlier this year in September. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if you'll blend them together or how you'd like to do it, but we're just thrilled that we're, we're doing this in now. Right. Too, yeah. also right on time and um, in a really thorough, thoughtful way as I've pre-read. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to thank Mr. Fogel and, and the team for helping contributing to this and the work involved, but uh, certainly the structure. There's a certain uh, structure that you follow through the formative mid midpoint. I think one thing we, we do as a district uh, that maybe isn't done everywhere is the regular meeting check-in points uh, of the action goals. Like, for example, tonight, uh, Julie Shore is going to talk about the SIS mm -hmm. implementation. So. A lot of this might be redundant as far as like the updates, as far as progress, but it was a nice opportunity to revisit some areas. And at the highest level, I'll say, um, I know this is in my role, it's, it's, it's my role's formative assessment, but it is reflective of what we're doing in the district. And I certainly think it, it's appropriate to acknowledge we had a fantastic um, district goal setting uh, workshop that was very strategic in nature had a lot of outcomes, um, having the, a, a data point person was critical. Um, it, you know, and I think that that paid dividends, and especially around the, the first goal here I mentioned. The other, the other element is I want to mention the students. Uh, you know, I think they have come back this year. Um, there's a lot of healing involved with coming out of COVID. We thought it was going to happen last year, and last year was the most dysregulated, challenging year. 
um, especially for our educators and trying to understand uh, our, um, our students and our administrators leading buildings. Very, very difficult. Our, our students came back really relearning and dem demonstrating what it means to be students. Um, we just did our second round of uh, uh, star assessments and the growth that is, is showing is astounding. So achievement level wise, um, the students are doing fantastic and showing that nice really uh, jump in growth and achievement. So I want to acknowledge that. I want to give credit to the educators uh, in the district and, and all the staff for building that environment um, where students really can thrive and, and to do that. But we've been very aggressive in adopting uh, some instructional and, and curricular updates and especially in the realm of math. And yeah. it's, it's been very heartening to see the dedication and work in navigating that implementation and then also seeing the results from the students. So that I'm applauding um, and at the midway point that that's something that rises to the top of, of me because that's not easy when you're implementing new curriculum and you're learning and then you have the students in front of you and sometimes it's the first time to do a particular lesson. Um, the engagement in the professional learning around that has been fantastic. I think the administrators, um, the central office team to, to building base administrators have really worked hard to be responsive to some of the survey data that came out um, and that was embedded in a lot of the school improvement plan goals um, about being attentive to student learning, student behavior needs, uh, being responsive to educators that are in need if there's something going on in the classroom, uh, just overall culture of the building. We reported out on that survey data and both family and staff data had a significant jump. So when I look at, at mid-year reports, you know, I think that we've made a lot of gains around what happens in our buildings and our students, and that, that means a whole heck of a lot. Then there's also the element of acceleration points within the goals, and I think that we've been very, very attentive to them as a team, and everyone has their different piece. And to, to be able to track and say what percentage we are, 50%, 70% complete, having it documented, having the artifacts there um, has been another leap that I've seen in the district. Uh, it may not be visible for everyone, but to see the progress and attention to very specific areas is, is a really, really big deal. So that's my highest level review. Um, I'm pleased with re really where we are. School years always give you areas that you want to look in. But I just want to go through this in the, the most efficient way possible. Um, part of it is, is looking at the recommend, highlighted recommendations from last year's summative. Uh, and the first part was uh, you know, to really have a longer-term plan uh, around high standards and a commitment to learners, all levels, SMART goals, benchmarks, metrics, action steps, and overall growth targets. So that's really having a, a stronger, sound, um, SMART level set of, of district goals. Uh, and we really did that. And we, we had a team come in. They're going to be helping us again with the long-term strategic planning. But it helped us develop focus areas in our pillars. And what happened was it trickled down to impacting how school improvement plans were written. And it also uh, landed in the goals within our educators. And it provides some focus. Embedded in those were the targets that Mr. Fogel laid out as far as what we might want to achieve, be it survey data, student achievement data, or some other uh, analysis there. 
that that's going well the the this one speaks to what we talked about tonight having a long-term plan about what's the optimal staffing plan so there's a couple of things you know there's uh, staff to, to student ratios is class sizes there's also organizational structure now you've seen already the the plan to to restructure how student services are to better meet the needs of it there's a lot of data that says this needs attention um, we're also looking at different models at the central office level and how we how we might do HR how we might maximize our, our potential we have a really good team so that's a part in process and we're that's part of that consultancy work so this is I put in progress because at the end it's it's when really you'll see the fruition of it but the work is happening next one was around um, progress toward identifying a longer-term plan to identify retention uh, in the district I would say this is the one where I probably at the midway point say I need to pay most attention to as far as in mr. Fogel and I talked about what are the systems that we currently know when students are going in and out how do we make sure that that is accurate how do we also have the opportunity to know specifically where one's going uh, and then do we interview folks that may be going I mean there's a lot of registrants and a lot of withdrawals simply because students move uh, there's sometimes when they may go to another school and is there a rationale for that maybe we can learn something from that uh, as well it's a big part of the the HR development piece of employees coming in hey what attracted you here right. you know what, what you know what brought you here what are you interested in and then if they are leaving what is it retirement you're moving I wasn't happy what is it so these these elements are really really important and there's an element here where knowing very statistically uh, I asked them we have some broad-based numbers from 2018 of how many students might go to a private school how many go to Blue Hills look we want to always make sure that we have the highest quality public education here in, in Canton public schools there's always personal reasons and family reasons that they might go elsewhere and that's respected but we also want to be attentive to how often does that happen and we also want to embrace their want and desire to go to maybe a trade school like Blue Hills um, and that's been an initiative out of the commissioner as well make sure that's embraced as a high quality opportunity for students so you know just just to give an example you know in 21 22 last year we had 26 students go to private schools that's K to 12 and then 32 to go to Blue Hills it represents about 1% of our of our students so what does that look like over you know what trends are we seeing um, but again it's it's tough to tell is that a number that's stable over the years or is it going up is it going down and what can we learn from folks that maybe make that decision not surprising highest number of folks that uh, are going elsewhere are in grade 7 and grade 9 those are some threshold points uh, for private schools but you know when I looked at the particular numbers 1% of our current student body make a decision uh, to go out elsewhere um, if you include Blue Hills you know you can go up to 2% so then uh, next one here is and this is the last one from the, the recommendations a long-term plan to opt to articulate optimal conditions for teaching in, in the district you know again this is one I think we can grab survey data but I think we have to get more from the staff we have our professional learning council 
We get feedback forms from a lot of the activities that we do, but there's also just sitting down with our, our staff across all of our different positions and continuing to, to talk about what might be best, right? Is it collaborative time? Is it uh, the professional environment? Uh, is it class size? Is it, you know, the encouragement to, to take courses? Offerings, you know, one, one area I know from that Ms. Shannon has worked on greatly, we heard a call from uh, folks in Unit E that they want um, a career path, right? So Kari has been established. We had a number going there, and I think we have one or two more uh, partnerships that are happening. So this is a thing that universities are doing, and they're providing some nice um, discounts and partnerships with schools. So that's something I think we can be attentive to. Um, and the feedback from the surveys and just anecdotal is important. Goal-wise, uh, this is where you have superintendent's goals and we have the district goals. So first one around professional practice, I'm in the second year of the new superintendent induction program. Incredibly valuable. Um, you have class that's sometimes in person. More often you have coaching circles. So that's online. Um, the reading is significant. The conversations are very valuable. And there's a lot of case studies that, that you go through. And then, of course, the coaching uh, with Mary Bork, which is so fantastic. Uh, Ms. Shannon and I joined 50 other districts, 51 other districts, in taking the Race, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion workshop that was designed by MISS. That has been an incredibly powerful experience. Uh, they both look at it at the strategic level and the human level and the student level around equity. And then the long-term planning process uh, with regard to um, mission, vision, core values. This has been uh, the work with Dr. Scott Borstell and his team around strategic planning. So all of those things, I think, are in good shape. District improvement goal-wise, as we've reported out, we're doing a lot of human resources work, uh, both project-based and then long-term structure and implementation-based. Um, the next part with regard to that is, um, again, taking a look at systems and structures that we can work on, uh, both in the moment and what we might want to be uh, to function at a high level. The, the, the quick story is, I remember working and seeing the positions here as, as a principal, and it was truly a, a small town type of organization and structure, um, and, and that worked for a while, and as our enrollment went up, as the expectations of the state and DESE went up, and as our, our variety of students' needs increased, um, you, you can't have that old model of, of structure and continue to really maximize and optimize the student experience and then your efficiency and functionality and performance as a district. So these changes are really met with the times. Um, and we're thoughtful about budget all the way through that. Student achievement goal, we want to, as I said, the quickest way, we want to move up 5% in the meeting or exceeding uh, element for our MCAS scores as far as the district. In 2022, we were 54.5%. 2019, we were at 65. Our goal, like most districts, is to reclaim that performance level uh, that was seen in 2019. The 5% increment was through some data analysis. I will always say that MCAS is not the be-all and end-all, but it is one measure that we are trying to reclaim for achievement. I think the social-emotional health, 
I think there's uh, just individual growth as a, as a student, uh, but this is one measure that we do look at. The great news is we are on track to meet that goal. Mr. Fogel has done some projections based on, on some of our benchmarking and is um, trying to take a look at where students may score and are we on track with it, and we are uh, on track to meet that goal. And that he was beyond excited when he came to see me and tell me that. Um, a number of these other ones we've presented in prior meetings, so I don't want to be redundant. I want to be thoughtful about time. Uh, but we are doing an, a great amount of data work closely with, with our teachers, our department heads and principals, um, as far as knowing our students well, knowing what standards uh, that, that we're hitting, uh, areas where our students may need, have need. Um, I would say that the needle has really moved in the district with regard to embracing the data and using it effectively for students in our practice. Um, that is a mid-year takeaway and really, really proud about that. Um, and Mr. Fogel, thank you for that, for facilitating that, and to the educators for embracing it, because it makes a difference. We have made some efforts to engage parents, um, be it on open house nights or math night webinars, to engage that, and then just on a regular basis around some of our new math curriculum. And we'll continue to offer different types of sessions like that. There's a part here around mapping in against standards and indicators and summary. Uh, around instructional leadership, management, and operations, family and community engagement, and professional culture. Uh, Mr. Fogel helped me develop an evidence map. You've seen the, the dashboard that shows our goals and some of the artifacts, and then some of the outcomes and progress monitoring that's there. So that's a link that's available. Uh, and then there's the executive summary of progress against the goals. Much of these have been reported out already. What has been included uh, by Mr. Fogel in, in supporting this is here's the progress around the goals, here are the actions. There's one thing to have actions completed, the other is to see sort of are we making, is it having a positive impact and what's the data point. So, you know, for example, around equity audit analyzing and findings, we're at 70% completion around achieving the goal, but if you go down to priority two, um, it talks about behavioral needs, right? And uh, we see our goal is at 80% community survey responses that we agree, strongly agree. When asked to reflect on their student school culture experience, it came back at 78%. So that was a big jump in growth. We hope to get to 80 by the end of the year. Uh, if we can also look at uh, agree or strongly agree from staff seeking support for student learning, specifically around behavior, uh, you know, our goal was to get that up to 60%. We're currently at 68%. Um, we'll build systems and structures to use data to drive high quality assessment. You know, we see an achievement increase of 3 to 5%. You can see here some of the things. So this was a major jump. We we're uh, roughly at 80% completion, achieving the goal. Uh, and based on the assessment window, we predicted that 65% of our students would score uh, in the median exceeding, which is uh, the overall goal. But as you know, you go through it, um, next goal, we've had a real close attention regarding instruction uh, in our district learning walks and con having contributing factors funnel into the, the voice, be it professional learning council, staff surveys, staff discussions, learning walks, 
All of that is to create a, a vision for high quality teaching, um, teaching and learning and leading. Uh, and that has been uh, you know, spearheaded by Ms. Shannon and really embraced by the team. And all of the buildings and all, all of the educators have uh, been wonderful in inviting some of these visits um, uh, all the way through. It's really just to take it in. It's not about evaluation. Uh, and we've really enjoyed those learning works, and they have been impressive of what we've seen and contribute to a larger vision. You'll hear from Ms. Shore around Priority 4, which is the SIS completion. Um, and we're, that's a major, major project that can pay dividends uh, and really proud of the work of her kicking that off in conjunction with Mr. Marshall. So, you know, the last portion here I'll finish with is just around at any point school years happen, there's things that you have to look at. So some of the things that I listed is, again, the attention to student retention uh, and school promotion. That can be linked. And what I mean by that is, you know, letting everyone know, you know, what is offered here, what the experience is here, what the high-quality learning experience looks like from the moment you enter in the pre-K kindergarten all the way through graduation. And it's very, it's different at every different level. Um, we have the luxury to see it, but how do we promote that and let the community know? How do we know it's much more than just the classroom experience? It's the bonds and the after schools and the sports and the activities and the, the different elements of support. I think it's important to, and this is maybe a little bit specific to Mr. Sperling, the world and the educational discussion is evolving around learning opportunities beyond the buildings, right? Uh, what does it look like in colleges? What does it look like in workplaces and being dynamic there? I think enhancing our communication um, plans and platforms. Uh, we've had many discussions about building a sense of belonging and have welcoming at our thresh points. When new folks come into our, our just a kidding, uh, kindergarten registration, new students, new families, how do we make sure they feel super welcome in the Canton culture, uh, even beyond our school community? That's really, really important. You know, other things that are there, I've talked about this with Ms. Miranda, the importance of equity not being listed in one particular pillar, but being a through line, uh, because it impacts the budget. It impacts the, the environment, the culture that's happening. There's a focus of like, where does it, what does it look like and how does it land in instruction? and just having it be a through line between the four pillars rather than landing in just particular one. You know, I think the, the element of having the equity audit is going to have to be a vulnerable and courageous moment by us all because it's a deep look at us. But if we remember that it's about our students and it's about our community and it's about our, ourselves improving at the highest level and meeting the needs of each and every student, if that grounds us, you know, I think we can be prepared for the work. Likewise, I would also say, too, um, the strategic planning model and taking a hard look around our vision, mission, core values, that's upcoming. That needs to be important. And then forecasting out planning with regard to that. And I think it's also with our focus on curriculum and instruction, it's really important to always think about our implementation of particular areas, such as literacy, taking a lot of hard look at that. I think taking a hard look at how we're doing uh, with our math implementation and those assessments. Because as you introduce new approaches, new material, new curriculum, you look at student outcomes, you think about, is this working? Is it the, the, the best element? 
that's happening here and how can we how can we make sure uh, that we're constantly assessing that in a really productive and thoughtful way um, you know I think the the other the other portion is and we did it a little bit already is we have a strong curriculum review process uh, so what are the needs coming up next and we've had some discussions about what it may be and it it may be a little bit different than how we plan based on some of the needs of the SIS and the evolution of, of where we are um, as, a, as a school district, but also just as we have social studies going on and having that constant assessment of our curriculum and instruction and evolving with best practices and standards. So those are some of the things that are top of mind when you're at the, they're not adjustments per se, but from the summer to now, some of those other things are rising to the top. So thanks for indulging me here and going through this and um, happy to take any questions. All right, wonderful. So, um, okay, first thing, uh, one of the reasons, or the reason, I, w one of the things I thought I might be able to help um, with when I uh, was asked to consider coming on the school committee was strategic planning. And as much as um, this appears to be <coughs> A formative assessment really what it is is that it's a, a check along the way towards um, goals that have been set that are truly collaborative and focused and then are able to be measured and then revisited and reflected upon and not for means of um, punitive action but honestly learning and then growth right and um, I'm really thrilled that we are at the point where we're having formative assessments because we haven't had midpoint checks before, and they're they're important. Um, and so, just to be doing it uh, is, is thrilling. But then, secondarily, to be doing it in such a way that is so um, thorough and thoughtful is, uh, you know, it's mind-boggling considering everything else that's that's going on in the background. I think it's it's hard to track just how much you just shared, considering um, all the other items we also talk about every single day. Um, when we meet um, in these sessions. So um, from my perspective, the, the formative assessment and then how the superintendent goals and the district action goals have been put together are still quite, quite bold compared to um, maybe the strategic framework we, we've had, which of course set categories of action, <coughs> but not necessarily what the actions would be or you know, who they'd incorporate and what they'd drive towards and then how you'd know if you made progress. And so th the amount of detail in terms of meeting with the team and coming up with a plan is in itself impressive. But then I w would also like to say that this is probably more than anybody would expect. In fact, um, looking at it, reading it, like, wait a minute, so wh what were the superintendent goals and what did we ask and what did the district this is a preliminary view of what a strategic plan will look like, the next strategic plan for the schools. You'd have the superintendent goals, you'll have your annual tactical um, goals and plans that you put in place all in service of these, these larger items and you're hitting on every one of them, whether they're human resources, whether they're your systems and structures, or your financing to make that happen. And so um, as much as in progress, as you said, is something that you, you know, is happening, I actually believe that we'll see a lot of these categories continue in progress for years to come because of, you're always looking at and reevaluating whether or not you have the right resources to help make something happen. 
So all that to say is this is a lot, and it represents um, a huge and I think important shift for the district because it gives everybody a sense of where we are at once. I wish we had the entire meeting to go through it and have you click on the different links that Mr. Fogel and I'm sure team have helped put together, but you'd see dashboards and um, all sorts of evidence linking back. When we put our agendas together now, as, as um, Superintendent Follin said, we, we mean to deliberately focus specifically on the business of the schools and then on these plans every time we meet so that there is that reminder of trying to get um, towards a common goal and honestly focus is your friend, right? <laughs> if we can keep reminding ourselves what, what we're trying to accomplish and then keep revisiting those things, odds are you're going to make progress. And you're actually, you've made more progress than I think any of us could have expected. Right. Good teamwork. So, I tried to mention yeah. everyone because I think it's um, it's representative of a lot of good work. It, and, and bravery, and bravery, right? Um, to take a survey and see what the results will be and share that. And it's and I've tried to say, and you never know, is it okay? You know, to sometimes not make it as far as you think. What's a goal? What's a stretch goal? Um, what's maybe falling short? And, and not be afraid of that. Um, but to, to even have taken the risk to um, set those goals, numerical targets, knowing that. Quantitative is not the whole story at all, and I don't think anybody would mistake you for being a guy who only thinks about data, because that is not the case. Um, data, data does not drive performance, that is for sure, or progress, but it does help you have a, a good sense of where you're headed. And so anyway, it's a long-winded way to say, of all the things I'm passionate about, it is something like this. It's systems and planning and the long-term view towards a positive outcome. I think we're in really great shape. I think. If you'd asked me, I probably still think you bit off more than you could chew and still delivered on all of it. So I'm just really grateful. And um, personally, I can't find fault with this. And I, you haven't even, you know, saying now that, you know, something you want to take a look at is some of the attrition and um, looking at why folks leave. That, that's also looking at it, not only what everybody needs who's here, but also any blind spots. What else can we learn? And so thank you for even acknowledging that piece of it, which we, we don't know, but we'll learn and it'll only make us better. So um, I've got nothing but great things to say and um, for an area, like I said, that I'm, I'm very passionate about, which is planning, which is what this is all about. Huge effort and um, huge results so far. So bravo. Thank you. Uh, any other comments from the school committee? This is our opportunity for verbal feedback only. It's meant to be informal. Support. I think that the only word yeah. is support. Yeah. Support yeah. of. Well said, yes. yes. Thank, you. Thank you. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And for anybody watching at home, do take a look at this packet. Do click on the um, superintendent formative mid-year assessment. Uh, you'll see there's uh, just so much there, and it's, it's uh, very heartening. And you can tell that where our district is going is great places. Okay, uh, the next item on the agenda is, because I believe we cover district goals. Unless you, oh no, we did not. We, <laughs> oh no, Miss York, come on. In down. one way, the macro view, and now a micro view of one of the district goals. She gave me the. Along. It's all set. If you're all set, no. <laughs> She's like, yep, I got the keys. All right, see you later. 
next time. It's me again. So we have Ms. Shore um, with us. Thank you again for um, priority four, goal one, which is to select and negotiate a multi-year agreement for new student information system and begin the data migration and training phase of implementation. This is massive. So thank you for thing. taking it yeah. on, and I think the effect will be the same. Yeah, yeah. So we're in a really good spot. Um, so I just wanted to kind of give you, I laid out in that memo kind of, each individual um, action item that we have put out, but I'll just kind of give you a, an overview. Um, so we have a committee of 17 stakeholders, a mix of uh, parents, guardians, teachers, administrators, building leaders. Um, and so we have met uh, twice. Um, a great group. We've learned a lot. Uh, we've done a lot. We've dug in a lot. Um, and right now, our number one focus is the RFP. And so the request for a proposal, um, it's a beast. I'll be honest, I've never written one before, so I am in and can't thank Mr. Marshall enough when he's like, add this, do this, think about this. Um, and so I really, really appreciate all of his um, support in doing this. Um, <coughs> but we have, uh, per the goal, what we've done is establish minimum criteria for the request of proposals, meaning what are the things that are kind of our non-negotiables. We've also talked about what are what is the immense amount of data that we're going to be requesting from the vendors, and it's pretty significant. I would say we are heavy compared to some of the other RFPs that I've looked at, but I think purposefully. We have an opportunity to really try to get closest to everything that we need, and so we've got to ask and make sure that it's there for us, for us to consider it. Um, and then together, we also have identified our evaluative criteria, which is what we'll use um, kind of after the vetting process is over and all of that will go out. So just a little bit about timeline. Um, the RFP is being released next Thursday, January 26th. Um, proposals will be due back at noon on February 17th to Mr. Marshall's <coughs> office. Um, our committee will get together again, review them for minimum criteria. Um, we'll then invite who's left uh, for presentation and demo of the site um, anytime between the the weeks of March 13th and March 24th. Um, and at that time, we'll have not only the SIS selection committee, but um, we're going to be asking, and, and information will be coming out, I would say probably early February for stakeholder groups. So I'd like to bring a group of teachers in so that it's really focused on like, what are the key things that teachers need to know? Parents and guardians, students, administrative assistants. Um, and so we'll have those, one for each vendor that we have um, that's in the running, um, with the goal that by April 15th, we would award a contract um, and so that is our goal and then again depending upon what implementation looks like after that um, the ultimate goal would be that we start doing that data, data migration data cleanup um, integration all of that work throughout the summer so that August we are operational and actually can be running parallel with our current system so that it's not this big like flip the switch and all of a sudden everyone has to know something new. It's a very slow rollout so it's bite-sized pieces for everybody to absorb. Um, you know our administrative assistants, our data specialists, they're the ones that are going to have the real heavy lift and for everyone else it's that slow introduction um, with a hope that we would launch at the semester, end of semester one that would be the flip over so that scheduling, everything you just heard from Dr. Chamberlain and, and Mr. Sperling, all of that would happen in the new system as we prepare for the next school year. So that would be, that's the goal. Um, we'll see what happens in terms of, in terms of that, but um, 
I've actually been in contact with um, Milton that's currently going through a transition, and it's taken them, a li- I think, a little bit longer maybe. So, you know, for us, we're flexible, and if it's going to take us a little bit more time, that's okay. But for us right now is, is getting that, um, identifying the vendor, negotiating the contract, and um, starting that implementation phase. So we are on track, and it's very exciting. And I think as we get closer and closer, um, those that kind of have been intimately involved with it get more and more excited. So, yeah. Mind, um, can I ask you to uh, talk to us, even if it's not something that will hold you to, but what are some of the improvements or um, areas uh, that, you know, that you'd highlight that you think you might see with a change like this? So uh, for me, it's not something that's going to be, potentially isn't always going to be the things that everyone on the outside is going to see. It's going to be the people that work in the system day in and day out. Um, I say this respectfully-ish. Sometimes in our current system, it's like the 90s AOL dial-up. Like just trying to get in and, and like just get moving and find the information. It's very cumbersome. Um, it does not provide the backbone, like Josh and I talk often, it doesn't provide that backbone that he needs to really build some, I mean, you think what he can do now is cool, like, when we have that ability and, and that capability, it's going to make a big difference. Um, Dr. Chamberlain talked about it with scheduling. The current system that we have is pretty limiting with what it's going to allow her to do or, you know, whoever's doing the scheduling to do, so we're really excited about opening up those possibilities. Um, our current system, I think, has a, you know, they have a decent outward-facing portal. It's easy to navigate, you know, it's, it's pretty user-friendly for, for parents or for students, and so we're hoping that that gets elevated a little bit more. Um, elementary grading is very cumbersome in our current system. I'm sure Ms. Siegel's um, still here, but, um, is he, oh, there she is. I'm sure she can attest to that. It's very cumbersome just the way the structure is. And so, it, for me, it's a little bit of how we do our work in almost every aspect, we're hoping to see some, some real elevation. End user experience. Yeah. And then I guess the processing capability. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's yeah. great. And then um, does the SIS have any outward facing components to it? You mentioned, I mean, I'm assuming when it comes to maybe, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't assume, uh, like uh, communication interactivity between student, faculty, parent, faculty, student, not sure, just asking. Yeah, no, it will depend where we land, and it depends how they're built. Uh, Part of this is, like, the way I see it is, although this is the biggest piece, it's kind of step one. Right, so once we've identified which vendor we're going to go with and what SIS we're going to go with, then it's time to take a breath and evaluate how else do we do what we do. So we have a current communication platform. Is that really it? Or now that we have this, what do they integrate with? What, what add-ons do they have that can really build, like we talked last time, kind of about that ecosystem in a way that is a little bit more user-friendly, a little bit more all together so that the systems are really working well together. Um, so it's kind of step one, although it's the biggest step. You've got your core area of focus you need to solve, right. and then everything else is ancillary exactly. and benefit, but you'll explore. And all of those can get addressed, all those questions about all of the different softwares that we use. Perfect. Yeah. Wonderful. Other comments? Questions? I think it's really exciting. I am so sorry. I couldn't meet 
for the last first sessions, but I will be interested in moving forward, helping as much as I can. Um, I think that your timing is really aggressive. I love it. I think that if we find a vendor that is able to meet those timelines that you just outlined would be fantastic. Uh, I, 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 I think we should try, but I think that we, optimistically speaking, we might have a little bit longer. And time. I feel similarly, and I like, I think the way that we're moving forward in terms of currently right now, an aggressive January go live date, if it's a July go live date, it's probably all okay anyway. Mm -hmm. Typically at that point, as long as we're operational, the things we talked about like with scheduling, we probably still could be doing in the new system, even if we're not fully functional. Yeah. So I, I feel good that we're in a good spot and if we have to bump it to July 1, we bump it to July 1. Yeah, I think that if we think about how the migration will take place and then you have your first soft go live maybe and then you do the optimization even after the fact, right. but you start using it and then you can do your phase self optimization and that's very common and mm -hmm. probably something good for your super users to be able to get used to and then train other folks um, as they're being more involved with the system. Yeah, we're already looking ahead at what um, PD might look like for not only the district, but um, my two real big groups are administrative assistants and a train the trainer. So, you know, how do we get hopefully teachers from all buildings to really get in and have those um, experts as we move forward that also can allow us to hear that that more feed the smaller more technical feedback um, so I, th I think we're on a good path but yeah I agree it's aggressive but we kind of have a plan B so I feel good about it okay that's great thank you all right good. thank you very thank much you. great update appreciate it okay so now we're moving on to F unfinished business and we are going to talk about the FY24 budget rollout uh, which is up for a possible vote um, after a second read this evening. So, Mr. Marshall, is there anything you'd like to outline or update related um, to this topic? Nothing specifically. Again, I will, you know, it is not uh, crucial that we vote tonight, um, although uh, I'm happy to entertain a vote if, if the committee feels as if they're, um, they're ready. Um, but I think leaving a little flexibility in order to make some changes prior to February um, might... Uh, might be beneficial. Okay. So it's your recommendation to. I, I, it depends on the conversation. I mean, if there's okay. additional discussion about um, items that are currently um, in the superintendent's um, request that that the committee feels might need to be adjusted, um, then we can certainly take those recommendations, um, come back to finance uh, committee, and 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 come back uh, with something that might look a little different than what we have currently proposed um, for a third read and a vote. Prior to it. February, I got 3rd. it. Mm -hmm. All right. So, is there any discussion related to the budget as it stands, understanding that there could be some adjustments based on any upcoming discussions we may have uh, related to emergent needs? I would actually prefer that we don't vote because I haven't had a chance to really dive deep into what's presented, um, if that's okay, and, yes. and have a conversation maybe more informed next time that we meet, at least from my, my side. That makes good sense to me. And that's okay. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, okay. so um, a preliminary budget is uh, due to the town February 3rd, which is the Friday following our next meeting. Okay. Um, so as long as the committee understands that we do have to um, yes. to vote oh, at nice. our next meeting. But sure. yeah, um, I, I, um, I agree that it, 
I think there are some outstanding items that make sense um, to wait until February 2nd, and, um, and uh, that might inform us on some additional decisions. Mm -hmm. It might free up um, some money or the opposite, yes. um, and, uh, and we, can, um, we can have those conversations um, on February 2nd. Okay, we'll look forward to hearing more. I yeah, I suggest some clarification questions since yeah. we last sure. met. And one, um, because it's spoken in front of me, on the Student Services Reorg. So, in theory, we go ahead with three assistant principals. There sounds like there's some reassignment um, of the elementary team chairs. The terms of the assistant director for pre-K to five and assistant one, those are new positions. Those are they're new positions. Yes, I mean they're not new FTE, um, okay. but it is a um, they would be a, a, a change role? or a new role. Okay. Correct. And would those be personal service contracts or unit A? They would be personal service contracts. Okay. What would that bring us up to in terms of personal service contracts? I don't know a number off the top of my head. I think when I started, we were in the mid forties. We were between forty and fifty. Okay, um, so, so we're still right around that amount. Okay. Um, like there's, you know, uh, there's some personal service contracts that, um, like our school physician um, is a personal service contract. So like, right. you know. So if you stripped out sort of that one versus administrative. Yeah, but I can okay. certainly come back to you with what those. That would um, be helpful to just yeah. get a sense because I know that's been a conversation we've had about the number of our personal service contracts. So um, I'd like to get a context of that before we add more. Um, another question I wanted to uh, um, ask, so again, I, I will bring this back to the committee. I, I had wanted to discuss the addition of a English teacher at the high school. If I do that, Mr. Marshall's going to have a stroke, so I'm not going to do that tonight. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, that was sort of the, that was the ramification of uh, yeah. voting earlier. So again, yes. that's in the committee's um, wish, that's fine, but again, that's sort of the the other perhaps unintended consequence. Yes. Um, so I just just for the committee's information, I wanted to ask about the the math positions we've talked about at the high uh, the high school and the middle school. The interventionist. I know we've currently posted for a math tutor at both those schools. Mm -hmm. How would these positions look in terms of their descriptions compared with what the math interventionist would look like? I believe there was. You should have um, yep. a job description yep. for the math interventionist, but yep. I would um, defer to somebody in the crowd to better answer that. Okay. Yeah, Shannon? The, I think the, the first thing is, you know, we, we recognize the need for sort of an in-the-moment help for some of our students, and we're, you know, I don't want to steal what you're going to say, but maybe transfer it out. Like, so we look to ask for money and then yeah. we also recognize a long-term plan. And with that? Yeah, so the math Shannon. tutor position is a short-term solution. Um, what we said when we were looking at bringing that in through the ESSER money is, first of all, it's a tutor position. It's $30 an hour and consistent with all of our tutors. Um, and we said to both Principal Mulhern and Principal Sperling, look at what you can do for the remainder of this year and then look at what you would need for next year. 
And so that's the difference, is that the tutor is this year's position to try and give as much intervention service as we can in sort of a, um, I'm going to say off the cuff, but they've been thoughtful about it, <laughs> right? It wasn't a designed, it wasn't pre-planned. It was just, we have some funds and we have a need, so let's make this happen. Whereas the interventionist position, they've been able to think about and think about how to execute it in a um, more effective way come September. That's the difference. Is the thought process that potentially this person could roll into this position if we already have a tutors on staff? So it will depend on the person yeah. um, and their certification mm -hmm. and things like that. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. yeah. And the other question I had around, um, so there's a number of job descriptions in here. And is Ms. Gould working on, Dr. Gould working on the job descriptions for these or for the district? Or how is that working? Because I know one of the things she's working on is job descriptions. Um, so not specific, I mean, in, in consultation mm -hmm. um, with, um, so uh, certainly is there um, sure. for us. But at the same time, it's, you know, uh, these are job descriptions that, um, that, that we need to really um, be a part of and, mm -hmm. and, and create. So um, uh, Dr. Gould is, is, is available for us. Okay. Um, I, I can speak to that. She's worked a little bit with Ms. Shore on them. Uh, Ms. Shore had a lot of experience working with current postings and or existing job descriptions mm -hmm. when we did the a talent ed integration. So there's that foundational piece. So she has access to all of our existing either postings or job descriptions that are happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the one thing she reminded is, there's a couple of things, is you want to build a common template, you want to collaborate with your CTA leadership, mm -hmm. and yes, you'll get feedback on it. Uh, and then as they get finished, you saw a couple of drafts related to the request of new, new positions. So, you know, I looked at them, Michelle looked at them, we wanted to, to see, we were welcome for feedback too. She has some really good examples and knowledge on like, these are the, some of the staples that you want to see. We're also going to have um, our attorney look over them to see if there's like specific elements that you always want to make sure you have or have it phrased a certain way. Have Jody Middleton, our HR director in town, look at them. So there's a lot of work of making sure the foundational parts and then actually get them position specific. After that, then they come to the committee and it's either a first or second read, and then eventually mm -hmm. uh, we actually did a, a spot you may have seen where it says when does the discussion happen at the mm -hmm. school committee level, and then when are, where, when are they approved? So it documents like a policy. When was the last time that this was voted upon? So those were all her recommendations, and Great. you know, top priority was, all right, look, we got math interventionists and assistant principals. Mm -hmm. Let's start there, and then there's some build-out that's happening. And actually, I, one thing I didn't ask about um, Dr. Gould's scope of the description she's working on, is she doing central office as well? Um, so is she going to be doing just, I mean, obviously, sorry, with the superintendent, we, we kind of know what you do. It's, it's established in law, yeah. if you will. But I'm thinking from, you know, layers on down. And the reason I asked that is a number of years ago, we had, we've had different, you know, assistant superintendent positions yep. and how it's structured. I know last year, Mr. Marshall, we changed your position from director of finance, no, it was business, business manager, manager to director of finance and operations. So as part of, I would say, m you know, making sure we've got all our job descriptions um, is, is central office as well part of it, as well as, you know, I assume the different units, that sort of thing. Quick answer is very much yes. Oh, good. Okay. Yep. Great. Yep. Great. Um, 
and a couple of final questions. I, I will say, so I will give a pitch. Um, one thing we were requested was a full-time EA of the loose mm -hmm. for, the, for a, a large class. And in conversation within the um, Budget Finance Subcommittee, I asked about it, and it sounds like, you know, we've talked or I've talked before that at, adding a full-time EA in each classroom. So in conversation, you know, Mr. Fallon, you, you clarified that really if, if a EA is in an elementary classroom, it's typically to support you know, students within a classroom, maybe IEPs, 504s, that being said. So the question I put forward to the committee is, is it time to revisit that model and have EAs helping in elementary classrooms to support the whole classroom? In the sense of, like, we're hearing behaviors are more challenging, learning needs are more challenging, there's a lot going on in our elementary classrooms. So is this something to consider? So I, I would look at this EA position at the loose. You know, is this an opportunity? Because typically we focus the A's on the K-2, you know, we have them in the kindergartens, that sort of thing. But is this a conversation to have about expanding how we views, you know, view how EA could, you know, the, the role EA could play, in an especially in an elementary classroom? So I put that forward to the committee. Um, uh, well, I'll, okay. I'll just say to that, um, I mean, it sounds fantastic. I just wonder what the budget budget implications right. would be, which I would think would be significant, mm -hmm. so, depending on the number of classrooms you add that. Okay. So this loose... Staff. This, Although, I, who doesn't want... Right. Well, the loose EA is, is, it was, you know, put in as 29000 Right now, it's no, it was not a recommendation of the superintendent to fund. So that's what I'm saying, again, as we talk about budgets, I'm, again, I don't want to put you over the edge. But I do want to have that conversation of, of what is the committee thinking in terms of, especially our youngest learners challenges they're facing, getting yeah. another adult in the classroom with, you know, the teacher. So we're not going to decide it tonight. I just wanted to put that forward as, as something to consider that um, maybe, you know, that could be some funding to look at long term. The other two questions I have is, um, in the past we've talked about stipends, and I know you and I have had conversations about adding stipends in terms of... Um, like at the middle school, we've talked about speech, debate, you know, a debate club. Um, and I know, you know, you were going to, so if you could come back with, I know you were going to speak to Mr. Mulhern about that, or, or if you you guys were. So I'm just going to spot, and just, and at the high school, like adding a debate team, I mean, we've talked about it, it was an idea, but do we need to fund it to make it happen? So are these other stipended positions where we talk about a junior national honor society at the middle school, like things that we've talked about sort of amongst ourselves uh, we had done this um, back in September when we collected ideas from the school, the school committee about, and you know, we've, and some of them have made it from this initial document, including the assistant principals, have made it to our budget. So it would be helpful if you've had those conversations about where the principals are at with some, finding some of these positions or if they're interested. Because again, it's the funding mechanism. We don't know, you know, what we don't know. So here's just some ideas. The other piece that um, had come forward from our staff surveys was a, a dedicated special ed teacher for the kindergartens at each elementary school. So I don't know if that would be K to one, just K or K to two, but um, that was something that, I know it, it didn't come forward here, but it's something that we've heard. So I just put this forward for the committee to discuss or, or to consider as well, so. Right, yeah, thank you. And I wanted to ask um, Superintendent Fallon, do you, can you, do you want to speak to, even at a high level, the, the notion of, the committee that we may have forming around stipends, and if that will inform the type of clubs and 
opportunities that may come in the future. I don't know if that affects anything we do now or next year or if it's really more into the future. Yeah, I think the highest level is that there's, as several years back, there was sort of an ad hoc stipends committee uh, to look at uh, some qualifications for what would land as a stipend and if there had to be some adjustments, what was still active and as such. Um, I remember, I think it was Patty Willis and, and Barry mm -hmm. Nectar was sort yep. of like the co-chairs of that. Mm -hmm. That was really helpful. We, we see that um, something that almost should exist each and every year. Uh, there's a couple of different reasons. One, I definitely would defer to the principals with regard to what the clubs and what's the appetite mm -hmm. for certain elements. But you also want to be thoughtful about uh, what may or may not get assigned a particular stipend, like how to, how to do that, and obviously, uh, you know, the budget allocations for it. So it's a really important conversation, um, and it, it's it's been in all different places. And that last gathering, um, probably it was like 2019, I'd say, uh, it was really important because over time stipends can maybe outdated or not existent, and you want to make sure they're reflective of the work. And the the biggest one that always jumps out at me is like robotics was this highly involved, ever emerging club, lots of travel, lots of time. Um, it hadn't reached. Sorry about that. And and the the uh, it hadn't reached a point where it had gotten a stipend, and then the stipend assigned to it really wasn't commensurate with the amount of time and work. So they did some work to to adjust that. It's just time to do that again, okay. um, and to do it almost each and every year because it's important. Yeah. So to have a mechanism, if you will. So if you know a year from now or next spring, we're sitting around talking about ideas, so to speak. So again, we come out from the funding point of view, so we might think it's a great idea, but what is the mechanism to take something from a conversation in both directions, both on the, say, the staff side, what they might be interested in, or the principals, as well as, you know, if we might think, you know, Skydive would be a fabulous club to run at the Canton High School, but that might not go anywhere. Right, big stipend, you know. But um, to sort of vet ideas and just, you know, if it goes nowhere, it goes nowhere, but just to be able to sort of put the ideas out there and, and kind of get a read on it. So, yes, uh, stamp with is a standing committee or a standing? Yeah, it's, it's, there's the process for it. I, I know uh, Ms. Shores, someone came from a district where there were a lot of stipends, and like she would always remind, just like, Make sure there's a process to be thoughtful in it because over time you like you wake up and you're like, whoa, there's a lot of stipends and some are executed and some are not, and um, it, it just it, it serves everyone well to be thoughtful. So, trying effort. Yeah, yeah I, I think part of it is that creating a formal procedure mm -hmm. for the addition of a stipend, um, the the contract aspect of a stipend being listed in the contract um, helps for those monies to be retirement eligible, but uh, it's kind of a two-part you know, piece. It doesn't mean just because something is not listed in the contract that we can't hold that stipend. Um, so it, it's kind of how does that process play out? Um, and then this typical regular review process, um, you know, for things change, right? The names of things change and then all of a sudden this, somebody's getting a stipend but it doesn't actually, um, you know, reflect uh, the current name or what, you know, as things evolve. So um, I think we'll we can certainly look at that and 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 we've had conversations and yeah. we've added some stipends um you know just in in this current year right um and so we'll we can report back on that yeah and i think part of the conversation as well was the idea of do you pilot something for a couple of years 
as a stipend and see how it goes. And is it, so I think that has been un, done in the past potentially, that could be a, an option. But so to, to hear back on um, some of the stipends that have been floated as well as the ones that have been added, that would be great. Sure. That'd be great. And the other, well, the other aspect I'll just add to this, I don't want to pile on, um, but so one, you know, a committee that annually checks on, the, you know, revisits this, make sure that I, I realize the hours involved for each stipend are totally different and the skill sets and so forth, but that revisits to make sure that the compensation is fair. Um, but more than that, I was just going to add um, for these clubs that may be meeting that aren't stipended mm -hmm. and just how to, how to manage that. Exactly. I would think you'd yep. want that, yep. assuming, again, it can be afforded. I mean, mm -hmm. it, this is all in a world where, again, everything is, you yeah. know, the budget's unlimited. Because right. when something comes in, something goes away, right. generally speaking. Yeah. It's just the idea of making informed but, decisions. Yeah, I am yep. in support of that, mm -hmm. as well as anything we could do to, again, make our class sizes smaller and manageable. Any other discussion? Going back to the conversation about adding the um, assistance to the elementary classrooms, do we know how other schools are doing this? What is the best practice if, if we're having a lot of requests for support from the teachers? Have we done, like, do we know? I think we can come back with a thoughtful response. It's um, there's there's budgetary um, you know piece of this, but there's also the the programmatic and operational aspect, right? And what is the right model? I think um, this is something that I I <coughs> have seen in other districts um, struggle with, right? Like what is the right amount? Um, it's kind of you know is is it the right solution? Um, and um, I there's there's different opinions on that okay. um, and, and so I think um, maybe we can provide uh, some information to help jumpstart that conversation um, provide some um, some research that's out there um, for for people to make an informed decision as to whether that is the right path um, for us I think that would be helpful because I, I I'm all for adding people skilled people to help in our classrooms but thinking about what is the root problem or how can we fix it or help moving forward I think it would be beneficial it might be that that that's the answer or it might be that there's a few different options that I, I'm not familiar with and, and that's a, that's why it would be helpful you know sort of, sort of just start that conversation what's out there what what could different models look like again you know, I just might think of one but there could be others that would work better but just to sort of start talking about it, so eventually, if that is something, yeah. it becomes a, a potential for funding down the line. Thank you. Terrific. Yeah, and then with all that work, I didn't want to keep saying space constraints. <laughs> the other one, maybe the Galvin ends up changing our models quite a bit too, once it, if and when we have our new building. Well, it's and, and to that point, right? Because there's only. <laughs> Ideally, it is it is hard, right? We talk about class size and um, <coughs> talking about class size at the elementary school. Well, when you run out of physical classrooms, yeah. how do you that's how do you make your class size smaller? Um, it's so that's where very true. Every building um, is is going to have a different, uh, unique um, aspect factor uh, from staffing. Yep. Staff finance space. Ops. Okay. Okay. All right, well, if there is uh, no other discussion, we'll move on to the next item on our agenda, and we will hold the 2023-2024, uh, excuse me, the, 20, the FY24 budget for a third week. Okay.
So as I was just already reading, we are now moving on to F2, <laughs> which is our 2023-2024 District and School Committee calendar vote. I wouldn't even, it's ahead of schedule, but I hope this is the new schedule moving forward. I'm glad we're talking about this yeah. now. So everybody has plenty of time. Uh, is there any discussion about either of these? No. I do have a question. I know I was actually going to ask at last meeting and something that you said, Superintendent Fullen, gave me pause, but I still want to bring it up. For the um, the school committee calendar, mm -hmm. I'm wondering if sorry I'm about to cough, so I'm trying to hold it back. <coughs> August, if we need the two meetings for it, but I think you answered that. Yeah, it's something that we introduced uh, last year, and it's you know time in the summer is is cherished, but the, there's an element there where. Um, I think it allowed us to get approvals for documents and really set us up, oh, yeah. right, for, um, you know, first and second <coughs> reads of, of handbooks. Right. One one came to mind, you know, we have to have that voted on and have it in place. Um, so I just, I think it's something that I've, I've seen a trend of overloading that one August one because there's so much that has to get approved and get right. done mm -hmm. leading into it. So um, it allowed us to space it out and, yeah, have more manageable meetings. So, okay. um, yeah, it's it's Makes like sense. I said, you know, time's valuable and, and such, and we know that all of our participation might be spotted based on family commitments. But um, the fact of the matter is, it, it allows votes to happen that allows us to start in a right. Got it. Yeah. All good. Okay. And that is the the week that's just directly preceding our start of schools, which will be yes. um, right after that, immediately following. <coughs> Right, right. Uh, during the summer, we often meet for two or three workshops in addition to right. the school committee meetings to go um, not only through uh, the district action goals and then operational improvements that we can make on the school committee, but any other item or topic um, that's going to be a major focus for the year ahead. So it's, it is a lift. Um, but um, I, I agree that um, I, I found in the three years I was on the school committee before, we started doing this that it was a rush to the finish yes. and we ended up adding it anyway yeah. so it wasn't officially on the calendar but we had, we had to, to do, do it, it. Yeah. granted COVID <laughs> school openings school closures I mean there's a lot that was happening but it was the handbook that we needed out and the handbook um, backs up um, but there are all the other steps before it that have to do with um, uh, school improvement plans and district right. action goal setting right. cabinet retreats and uh, none of that <coughs> happens until after high school graduation and so it's it's a it's a tough um, um period to speed up any more than we we have but um it's a good question definitely um, if there isn't any other discussion um i would just say i i know ms gallagher in the past has you know through the work that she did on the calendar committee talk about at some point having the possibility of on the back of our calendar, maybe um, an acknowledgement of some of the uh, more um, you know, different cultural holidays that are important so forth, <coughs> even if they're not um, directly related to a release. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's some progress on that, but I just highlight that that's, that's an ongoing request, I know. Not just from her and the calendar committee, but I believe CDEI. 
doesn't, doesn't hold up our vote. So. Mm -hmm. um, so if there isn't any other discussion, can we take a vote? And can we do both at the same time? So. Okay. okay, great. Do I hear a motion to approve the 2023-2024 District and School Committee calendars as presented this evening? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Nine for me, four zero. These calendars are approved and before February. Yes. Very exciting. And, and to your point, that's been something we've heard from families. Yes. So planning purposes. Yes. Great, yeah. It's really terrific. Thank you for everybody who's involved in making this happen. Yes. All right. Amazingly, it's hard to believe we are right back on time. <laughs> Did we really? Yeah, we should be at, we should have been at 925 and it's 926. Wow. Um, so here we are uh, to the next item on our agenda, which is G, public comment. And I know we have one person here. Thank you for your, t your patience and getting, getting to this moment. As I mentioned, unfortunately, um, this is just the regular here. Um, we have uh, always thick uh, but important uh, items to get through. Uh, we have Ms. Eagles with us. For comment, I will say, as I always do, public comment um, is a kind of a function that we have at school committee that is set up <coughs> by uh, law, and uh, it's an option, but the way that it runs is set up by law, and that is it's not meant to be an opportunity for discussion or dialogue between the school committee and the administration and commenters, but really to um, help hear feedback. And here in Canton, uh, two years ago, we did take a vote and we extended our policy um, time limits from three to five minutes. And so that's what we allow for now to um, hear a little bit more of the totality of the comment. So welcome and thank you. Hello again. Um, thank you for allowing me to speak. I come to you as a mother, a wife, a worker, and a devoted member of this community. I am a taxpayer, a parent of a daughter and two sons enrolled at the Galvin and the Canton High School, respectively and a kindergarten teacher at the Kennedy. Last week, I sat next to a parent who spoke passionately about her child's experiences and your opportunities to humanize the committee through giving your statements from the heart. Tonight, I'd like to use this opportunity to do the same. You may not have met me before tonight, but you know me. You have mentored my children and held my hand as a new high school parent. You've worked closely with my husband as he directed the creation of the logos that are seen on the Canton swag we all love. You've sat with me in CAPT meetings and I've signed your petitions to run for this committee. You've watched my daughter on the basketball court while she and I have cheered on your son. You've rooted for my sons at the rink and seen their disappointment when they've fallen short for their goals. You've been a stage mom for my daughter at dance recitals while I applauded yours for her grace and beauty. I've taught your children and been with you through parent-teacher conferences, class parties, and birthday celebrations. I don't volunteer here on this committee, but I've spent time before school, after school, on weekends and vacations, which add up to I don't know how many hours over 27 years. I've been our captain liaison and sat on school council. I volunteered as a play leader in a homeless shelter for families so that parents may have a few hours to themselves. My daughter and I have filled backpacks so that disadvantaged children may have supplies that they need to be ready to learn. You may not have met me, but you know me. So it cuts to the quick to hear that you fear retaliation against your children or that you worry their relationships with their teachers may suffer in the next six years. 
Last week it was said that teachers are called to a life of service, but we are not called to be martyrs. Yard signs are not bullying. They weren't in 2020 when they supported no remote until red, nor when committee members ran for election, and they aren't now when they support educators in our district. I am excited to hear updates that mediation and negotiations are making progress. I am grateful that work to rule has been suspended, and I am hopeful that we will arrive at an agreement soon. You may not have met me, but you know me. You know me through my family, you know me through my children, and you know me through my work. This is my heart statement. Thank you for your time. Agenda. That is H, our Director of Finance and Operations report. I have nothing to report. Okay. <laughs> Moving to the next item. That is A, that is I, our consent agenda. And here we have um, the regular session minutes for January 5th, 2023, the executive session minutes December 3rd, 2022, um, January 5th, 2023, January 11th, 2023, and the warrant dated January 20th, 2023. Would any member like to remove one of these from the consent agenda to discuss or hold for further review? All right, hearing none, uh, can I get a motion to approve the consent agenda as written? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. aye. That's an aye for me, four zero. The consent agenda is approved. Now we are on to item J, our update of subcommittee task force and liaison posts. So why don't we start down the table on this side with Ms. Arbolita? any of the we don't have an update you may be today we're we're on hold for a policy meeting and we will re reconvening next <coughs> week. yes right yeah so next week all right thank you so um, that, that was policy information CCPC we had a meeting last week beginning of last week that was was productive and um, got to hear some good uh, feedback based on the survey that was conducted last year I think it was last April so um, good progress there and well the pre-app process is still open so do you know a deadline for the pre-app I can find out for you that would be fantastic okay. thank you yes absolutely it's on my list but I keep pushing it because I don't have a deadline <laughs> <laughs> like there's a few important things going on that might rise right to the top all the time yes I get it um, and it, for content and communications, I know there's been some possible discussion mm -hmm. about um, that being handled separately. So I know we had floated the idea before of somebody at the um, perhaps graphic arts student or someone with interest in that at the high school level assisting with those the ad creation for that. And I know we're, we've put some other ideas on the table. So kind of gathering all the options there. That's what I have. All right, terrific, thank you. Um, so the updates that we have, that we haven't already shared, okay, include um, the Master Planning Implementation Committee is um, uh, continuing to meet, but they are the reason that we originally um, made aware of the town's um, board, <laughs> Select board appointee communications <coughs> event. And so I'll be attending there as the vice chair of the Master Planning Implementation Committee and um, reporting out on the work um, uh, together with our chair of that. And the 
I believe everybody is really gathering at a time when they'll have their annual reports pulled together. And so this will be, I don't know whether or not it's the first time this event's been held. It'll just be the first time we're there, which is great. Um, and I think it makes sense for um, collaboration. And so I'm hoping that we'll be able to work on, I'd like to name that now, our annual report mm -hmm. for the for the schools, the school committee, the school leadership team, everyone together, um, and be able to present it here and then have it in time for that forum or some outline of it to be able to share. So that's that's just something I wanted to mention and it's kind of an outcropping of the work that I'm doing as a liaison to the select board. So that's item number four here. Our um, building and renovations committee is meeting next Wednesday which happens to be the same day we might be doing interviews. So I'm just guessing those come earlier for the OPM project for the Galvin Middle School. And I'll hold on saying any more, the MSBA project for that. Yeah, that, no, that's all correct. The 23rd and the 25th are the interviews. Yes. Definitely. So, uh, pending vendor avail availability. Yes, so I'm on the, the OPM group <coughs> along with um, Superintendent Follin and Mr. Marshall for that. And uh, what we did is receive seven lengthy proposals for project managers uh, to review and then use a rubric to evaluate. And part of that rubric involves you finding page numbers and checking off that you found certificates of compliance, as well as sort of looking at um, everything from their staffing to their financial health. So very involved and just glad to have great experienced leaders on the team, not, not just, not just um, uh, these two, but also Bob McCarthy and uh, so many others leading us in that way. Yeah, so those evaluations are due um, back from the selection committee uh, this week, and then uh, we will shortlist um, to likely three, um, and then hold interviews the beginning of next week. And then ultimately we need to um, select a vendor, negotiate a price and contract um, with that selected OPM and then provide all of that information to the MSBA by February 8th and then the MSBA will actually uh, vet all of the information and so we can't sign a contract um, you know with who we select until MSBA gives their uh, sign off and approval. Terrific. Um, is it fair to assume that the contract that will be negotiated is for the length of whatever time frame the project will take? Yeah, so in most cases, um, the OPM that we will be selecting in the very near future will see the project <coughs> through completion. Okay. Um, in some cases, uh, at the end of design and prior to construction, uh, you could potentially see a change um, if things really went south, <coughs> if, if somebody were to leave, a, you know, so there, there is an opportunity where if we needed to, we, we might need to... Um, to go back, um, but the hope in vetting and going through the amount of, of detail that we are is um, to select a company that uh, is going to have the resources and availability uh, to see this project uh, through. I think you raised a really good point um, that I was not thinking when I asked my question, which is in case <coughs> things are not going well, are, we are in the driving seat to some degree to make changes or corrections. <coughs> Always, we are the owners, they're working for us. Okay. And I'll just say, um, just a little bit more color commentary, every one of the, um, the applicants, and they're not all going to make it because it's going to be shortlisted, they're all involved in many, many um, municipal building projects around the state, 20 years, and, and, and then, you know, with, with long histories, whether it's 
hospitals, but also many schools, middle schools, different types of um, renovation projects. So they all have pretty deep history, which is fabulous. And then they'll, um, uh, in addition to that, uh, some of the minimum requirements are that uh, the project managers have been working in the space for five years. They're sort of licensed. They, they know um, and involved with like um, the development of uh, lead certified buildings on and on. And so it's, you know, I, I thought the candidates were really impressive, at least the, uh, the, the initial round and the amount of detail that they've provided so far. So you get to see like schematics and case studies of how they've not only, and this is required as well, on time, on budget, if they weren't, why is that? Um, if there's been any legal action, <laughs> there's this really great detail that gives you a sense of their um, depth and breadth of expertise. Uh, and, in, and like I said, in all cases, they look like solid candidates. So, so I feel think that's heartened by that. Sorry. I think that's really refreshing and great, and I'm probably the first step that we need to take, just thinking back at our bus situation and how everything on paper might look fantastic, just mm -hmm. looking at the other things that we might need to either add to communications, escalations, availability, reliability, like those types of things that when you're in a major project, like what we're going to be embarking, probably is going to be even more important. Um, so just thinking through those things moving forward. Look. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, the potential for a hundred and twenty to two hundred million dollar um, project, um, yeah, is um, is huge. Uh, the MSBA has obviously gone through this process um, hundreds and hundreds of times, and so uh, you know, there's a lot of templates, and that's uh, you know one of the reasons that the MSBA makes you kind of bring everything back to them is. Uh, you know their legal team um, and their experts are evaluating um, our decisions to help provide guidance as well um, to to say you might have missed something. Okay. So you know they evaluated the um, the the RFS itself before we were able to release it, um, and and so they're providing guidance along the way. So I think um, it really helps to to understand, and then you know they've learned through uh, mistakes as well along the way as to what to really look out for. There's always some unknowns, though. Sure. Um, you know, somebody leaves a company, a company, you know, goes under. That's why we're we're going down into financial detail to say, you know, um, you know, do do we think that this company is going to 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 make it business, five yeah. years, right? Um, and so, uh, there's a lot of, of aspects. That, yeah, they, that they go into the detail, the the resumes, if you will, the background of, of each of the people, and then how deep their bench will be, uh, who will be assigned to the project, the percentage of time, okay. and then what other projects they are currently involved with, those people specifically. That was something I laser focused on, so I could help in that area, at least common sense. Um, some of the other areas are not as technical, so definitely, I already said don't. Use my input, but certainly uh, I rely. I want to rely, as I always do, on the experts to help drive the decision making. Right. Terrific. Um, I have no other updates at this time. I'll just use my time for just a, a quick shout out and thank you to the volunteers for for Cap and Kate. Had the opportunity to meet with them this week. Uh, we talked a lot about their fundraising efforts how that impacts the schools, how that can be promoted. Um, they really are great organizations. There's, um, there's a level of service and in, in work with our educators and it, and it benefits them. So uh, I hope there's a, a general uh, curiosity around 
how you can be connected uh, with all of our schools and uh, the CAPS and the, and the CAPE program are great ways to start. So look for some promotional elements, but also if, if there's that want and need, it, it's not a major lift. There's uh, small entry points, there's big entry points. It's really rewarding and fulfilling. Um, it pays major dividends for our, our educators and our students. Um, so I always really enjoy meeting with them, and I want to use this moment just to, to promote that volunteerism. Um, it goes a long way, and it, it's, it's, they talk about themselves that if once you take that leap of faith, uh, they're open to different ideas of what it might look like in there. Uh, they will tell you that like once you get involved in it, it really feels rewarding and, and really connected uh, to the school community. So please give it a shot. Thanks. The only, I have nothing to report. I will say, <clears throat> is as far as the annual report, reached out to Mr. Marshall. Um, I will be in touch with Colleen tomorrow to sort of coordinate with her the sort of central office piece of it. Um, I think we'll probably work on the school committee piece of it. So I made a note to do it. Tomorrow. Sure thing. Um, sustainability, I think I mentioned at the last meeting, but we have started a pilot uh, composting program at the elementary school um, with Black Earth. That is uh, a six-month pilot program that sustainability is funding. Um, they're going um, to to provide the funding to pilot that for six months. We're also looking at um, some uh, the ability to recycle um, uh, one-time use gloves um, in in the cafeteria um, where you know food service staff are, are replacing gloves um, often so uh, the sustainability committee is also going to um, fund a pilot program uh, for that as well so that's happening at the loose um, but this is back of the house uh, composting only so uh, there's not any separation of um, front of the house like cafeteria stuff this is um, just the, the back of the house so we'll see how that goes um, they're also funding a pilot I believe at, um, at the fire station um, for some composting uh, and I believe April 1st is going to be the cleanup day um, so again uh, multiple uh, you know, committees in, in town that are supporting that, but um, will the schools will certainly be supporting um, that initiative as well. Clean up on April Fools. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the next item on the agenda is K other business. I just have to say um, I have a topic, and it's just um, a reminder to anybody specifically because you made me think of it um, because we have been doing everything we can to call for volunteers. We've known it's. A crisis uh, it's been really dire even before <coughs> COVID in terms of the drop-off of, of folks who are willing to volunteer um, and certainly the, any, anybody uh, who's interested in volunteering we appreciate any time that you can provide but certainly um, made me think to say uh, we are going through an election season and um, if anybody is interested in running for school committee, I'm thinking people from our CAPE, from our CAPS, from our school councils, um, but certainly anyone, um, just reach out uh, to me. I'd be happy to tell you more about the school committee because um, it's definitely something that is fulfilling and um, worthy of your time. It doesn't have to be forever stint, but certainly um, it's, a, it's um, a very fulfilling position. Um, and honor to get to serve. So just to call in an open invitation to talk more about what's involved and, and how you could um, play a role if you wanted to. Um, moving on to the next item on the agenda, that's our future business. Uh, the next open session meeting is scheduled for Thursday, February 2nd at 6 p.m. And with that, I'd like to ask if there's a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. 
All in favor? Aye. It's an aye for me, 4-0. Thanks, everybody. Good Thank night. You.